In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask out of all my prayers. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1989. Staying awake late here, late here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today for the first time together Together. are the the hosts of You're Missing Out and our best podcast friends, Mike Natale. Tom Lorenzo, it's so great to have you guys. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, uh, yet, yet another winner that I'm showing up for. Well, can I? I, I will also say, you you're, know, you're showing said, up for the series. I Kenny am, said that I we're am. staying up late. Um, it's later for you guys, so we do very much appreciate that you've decided to hop on the mic with us at 11 p.m. on a Friday to talk. Uh, Freddie, but we appreciate what else, it. What, what else was I going to do? Destroy my fucking body again? Drink until four in the morning? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, well, much. that's what that's Saturday's good. for. <laughs> yep. I so I I, I I feel like I need to say this right off the bat. Um, I'm not a horror person, as our listeners probably know. Uh, I had never seen. I never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street film prior to this. Uh, this episode, I watched all of the. Freddy movies outside of Freddy vs. Jason because Kenny told me I didn't have to. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Big mistake. In terms of completists. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Um, but he told me I didn't have to and I was fine with that because I have to be honest, by the end of this franchise, I was a little worn out. I was a little, I was a little done with 
Freddy Krueger by the end of this franchise. Which is which is honestly kind of funny since if you didn't get to Freddy vs. Jason, you ended on like what remake the best one? Well, wait, you skipped Freddy vs. Jason and you went to the remake? Yeah. I okay, didn't so that's a big remake, mistake. Which so I've never seen. Mistake. But all right, here's all right, my I hot take. Fe- okay. Yeah. Hot take, the remake is better than half of the eighties movies. Madness. Now, can I weigh in one second for everyone and for the benefit of your audience, folks? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I need to say something right off the bat because we're talking about canon and we're t- talking about franchises. Yep. And I know that I have a reputation for coming in with too much research. Uh huh. But I want to be upfront with your audience and let them know I I had a lot of things going on. I've actually started a, a new job. I can't talk about it, but I've started it. So this will not be an appearance where I sound like I'm about to jump off a bridge. Um, unlike every other one. Uh, he is dressed meant- like Freddy Krueger right now, for those who are not. Like, Phil, you did it, this is the second time. Make them pay for it. Make them pay for <laughs> they're, it. Well, they're already paying like, for it. This is Patreon. He needs to let people know that are only listening the, to the audio when they're driving yes. to work. Correct. That Correct. You, you need to look at what if Freddy Krueger... <laughs> Yeah. Was was hawking tires for Michelin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so let me just say there is there's an expectation on my part for heavy amount of research and I've been so busy I was only able to watch uh all of the original films, Freddy versus Jason, the remake, all forty four episodes of the Freddy's oh Nightmares television series that are canon because there are several episodes that fill in Freddy's backstory despite being an anthology series. <laughs> uh, the first two issues of the Marvel comics and Freddy's uh, hour-long MTV special. That's all I was able to do. <laughs> <this time. laughs> so can I... Okay, here's a, here's a for question for you. Down. And uh, yes, Tom, uh, yeah. as usual with me, I watched the first five yeah. Got so fucking annoyed with having to watch four and five again that I said, fuck this. I'm just going to watch the segments, the rest of the movie segments on Never Sleep Again because I didn't want to watch Freddy's Dead again. Freddy's Dead can go f- fucking die in a ditch. I hate that movie. Great flick. Great flick. Um, so, yeah. I really, the, the, the thing I lament the most is I ran out of time. I would have watched Never Sleep Again, but it's four hours. It's yeah, long, they basically go half an hour into every movie, which is which is great for a psychopath like me who has no you know social life other than drinking myself into oblivion. But uh, hey, what are you going to do? Now, what, yes, if I could, <laughs> what if I could uh, offer you guys something else, which is instead of that, just give yourself 44 minutes and I will send you the episode of Freddy's Nightmares that stars mm. a young actor named Brad Pitt. Now, oh, does wow. that entice you? Yeah. I would, I would watch that. I'd watch Where that. do you... All right, so, so let's... Yeah, obviously, I, I am most this intrigued is, by yeah. Freddy's Nightmares. What Freddy, network yeah. was it on? When was it on? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What? Tell me more about Freddy's Nightmares. This because, was between four and five, right, Mike? Well, it's, so it started in 88. Uh, the first couple episodes were 88. Ran through 89, 90, maybe a couple were in 91, but it was mostly in that chunk of time there. Uh Um, It's an anthology horror series uh, that was introduced each segment. It was, it was, it would tell two stories an episode, interrelated stories. They were all set in Springwood. And the premise, Mm -hmm. especially for the first season, is that they would all involve nightmares, right? And Freddie would introduce each segment. And in a couple episodes, he actually is a character. But they're all kind of in the universe in their own weird way. 
Uh, I was under the impression, because it's mostly just Freddy showing up and doing like a Crypt Keeper shtick of, you know, always uh, chew with your mouth closed. That's not really a pun. Bitch. I didn't have <laughs> but it's always something like that, you know? <laughs> I don't know why that was the first one. I'm so sorry. That's I'm so, so tired. <laughs> that was fantastic. Couldn't have asked for a better. I mean, non-pun. by the end, they get there. Yeah. But so, but I thought it was like a Crypt Keeper knockoff. And then Tom informs me that mm. this series actually precedes Pre- Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah, it does definitely because Which that was definitely insane. in the 90s. Yeah, that was 90s. Yeah, because uh, in that I, case, I think the series. I always I liked the series anyway. It's groundbreaking, it's interesting to watch. But yeah, it, it rules. And they've got a lot of great people in it. Brad Pitt, John Cameron Mitchell from Hedwig and the Angry Inch mm-hmm. is in the second James episode. Bond. Well, yeah, George Lazenby shows up at one point. <laughs> of course. Um, it's so, it's, it's kind of wild. The very first episode is directed by Toby Hooper, and it's telling uh-huh. Freddy's origins. Uh, not the stuff you see in like Dream Child. It's basically like it shows the well, trial. Well, well which origin? Because yeah, I was gonna say when, this guy's origin is all over the fucking. Place. When you like, watch I, this I, fucking I mean, series, yeah. When you watch these yeah. movies in a row, you're just like, oh, they just do. do There's these no continuity. Do these There's filmmakers like not watch the prior ones because it's like, no. oh, Freddy's, you know, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs, and other times it's like, nah, he was just, you know, Alice Cooper's asshole kid. That's you know? true. I think both things could be true at the same time. Um, oh, he also got ditched on prom and then comes back to haunt the girl that ditched him in prom, on prom night in one of the season two episodes of Freddy's Nightmares. Just want you to know he's that petty. I just want that out there. For everyone. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I, if, if I got ditched on prom, you know, I, I wouldn't get ditched on prom, ladies. <laughs> um, uh, I would certainly become hey, the guess who's Jeffrey Epstein. Guess who's got two thumbs and four claw fingers and did get ditched on prom? Oh God! This guy. Wait, 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 wait! All right, so you got ditched on prom? Yeah. To, and, and this episode and you, is already off the rails. And, and you didn't. You, you didn't start murdering. I didn't. no. I went to go see Grindhouse instead. That's what oh, I did. You're such of prom, a young so man. What did you do? So, uh, and that's how you you just cope by watching Rose McGowan with a shotgun leg. Uh, <laughs> let's go with that. I have a job now. So I'm not going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> You're job, always job, listening. Job, job, job. All right. So You're always here, listening. Let's, I, let's, I, uh, I told you, Phil, this episode was going to be something else, man. Yeah. But, this yeah, I mean, like, but, but, but I know it's 11 o'clock where you guys are. But we got to stay awake, okay? That's the whole point of this. <laughs> I'm going to do Tom, like Rooney Mara. And just, Tom, I'm going to take this Last time you were on. And I'm just going to start lighting myself on fire. That's right. That's the only thing you can do. Todd, the 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 last time you were on our eighty nine podcast, you called your shot and you said, "I have uh, I have tattoos of these maniacs on my body. I need that to I do. do an episode of one of these maniacs." Um, we had four three potential maniacs, and I threw in summer camp, which got no votes. Um, well, it's three boy camp but, three, but very few. <laughs> uh, the three the three maniacs are three kind of classic eighties. Slasher maniacs, your um, Mount Rushmore Mark. of uh, yeah, of, uh, well, you three yeah. of them. Yeah. Who would you who would you say is the fourth on the Mount Rushmore guys? Uh, I think a lot of people would say Leatherface, but I'm honestly going to go ahead and say Chucky. Yeah, I don't. Interesting. The, I think the Leatherface thing is absurd. Tom and I talked about this recently. The Leatherface thing is absurd because you have te- sure you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a, a foundational film, but then you don't get the second one until the '80s, and that movie is kind of 
a very well, different thing. It's like Gremlins Two, basically. I was, yes. yeah, I was Gremlins, say, it's, it's 2. Gremlins Two. It's a it's a joke. Yeah, he's yeah, literally making get, fun of the idea of a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then three doesn't really exist. Four is a mindfuck of a film uh, that gets hidden for years because of its stars. And then it's all just remakes. So, so Texas Chainsaw of Massacre remakes is the great thing about yeah, this franchise. It's kind it, of people. People that complain about the continuity of like Halloween with its own, you know, choose your own adventure continuity. There is no continuity with fucking the Texas Chainsaw. There's nothing you can latch on to. It's like second one's a sequel. Third one's kind of a reboot. Fourth one's kind of a reboot. The fifth one's literally a remake. The, the sixth one is the se- is a prequel to the remake. The seventh one is a sequel to the original. The eighth one is a prequel to the original. There's a new one coming out on Netflix. That's a sequel to the original about old man Leatherface. Which fuck? is which is why I thought, you know, us starting to go in the direction of this series makes no sense. It's kind of a waste of our time. Uh, of course, it makes no sense. It's a horror franchise birthed in the 80s. It's it's lunacy. And at some point, you know, they started to, you know, poochie out with freddie a little bit so they got all they got lost in their own sauce but i, I want to get back to i want to get back to to chucky which i think was an interesting call mike do you agree with that uh i mean if we're just pulling from the 80s then yeah I'm no we're not we're, okay. we're not i guess who's your who's your four then in that case it, it, i would it, argue in terms of just if we're talking about just iconography and like things that have permeated the culture I would honestly argue Ghostface, and I know people. That's might... what I've been seeing okay. a lot lately. I, I've been seeing see Ghostface as kind of this fourth dude, yeah. like the, the 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 four wise murderers. And I I think because when you have that, you you actually cover four very different categories too. Like Michael Myers is to me the embodiment of fear, right? He is the boogeyman, which is what they say. Mm-hmm. He's also kind of the the proto slasher. But there is a. I have a, a Michael Myers mask upstairs. I'm so upset I didn't wear it to this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, and Jason scared the shit is, of my kids with it. It's been great. <laughs> you know, I, 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 Freddy is is you know the the uh, more mystical evil, and Ghostface is obviously the most human of them because uh, Tom and I were actually just on a, a different podcast. Uh, I don't know if it'll come out by the time this is out, but uh, Macaw Cinematic Universe had us on to talk about Scream Four. Great and uh, one of the things we talked about is Hell just yeah. how how much Ghostface gets the shit kicked out of him in those movies. And I don't think we talk enough about how shocking that is because all of these other killers, Freddy had always been paranormal, but like Michael Myers was ostensibly mortal in the first Halloween yeah. up until we cut to the ground and he's not there. The end, yeah. You know, uh, Jason Voorhees gets more and more superpowered as it goes on. So, like Tom pointed out, especially and spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Scream Four, when you when you get to the end and realize there's a scene earlier in the film where Nev Campbell was essentially just beating the shit out of a teenager, you're like, "Oh, this rules! I don't yeah. see this. Yeah. Like, you don't I, get yeah. that kind of, you know." I, we we need more. Not, we need more yeah. Nev Camp. Scream Five needs to have more scenes of Nev Campbell drop kicking high schoolers. That's all I agree I really with that need. completely. I, I think you're totally right. That was always a shock in the first scream, and frankly, they 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 parodied it really well in Scary Movie because that was a big part of Scary <laughs> yeah. Movie too. Was the way their Ghostface got the crap beat out of him. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Ghostface is Ghostface. You know, I'm not telling anything you guys don't know, but Ghostface isn't a person. Yeah. Ghostface is a mask. The other yeah. ones are all 
are all you know, think, people are or are, 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 they're all constants. I like the Chucky call a lot because Chucky really is the, the fourth one for me. And that and Chucky, that's so, and that series is so fun, so much fun. I and it's best. still going. Like this, yeah. it, it just had a TV show premiere this week. I haven't watched the first episode yet, but like. Not only is it still going and Chucky's still the same, the continuity hasn't changed. They haven't rebooted or remade it, and it's still written by Don Mancini. So it's like the only franchise that's really had one consistent voice throughout. You know, like the first four screams were directed by Wes Craven, but they didn't have Kevin Williamson on three. He got rewritten a bit. No fucking shit. War criminal Aaron Kruger, who... (laughs) Who? What the fuck did did he know that Harvey Weinstein was doing what he did? Is that why he kept getting hired by this guy? Tom, because he did some rewrites on four. This is the second and, Aaron Kruger rant this week. Oh, I don't. I've been ranting about him for. He did Arlington Road. Yeah. So yeah. when we did Arlington yeah. Road, he's been doing it for years. Because I, I mean, Aaron Kruger is like you know, in some. I mean, not to not to go off on topic, but we're gonna do this all night, uh, so we don't fall asleep. Aaron Kruger is like the one guy I can think of who really came out of screenwriting contests. Um, yeah. And I think sure. he won the Nichols Fellowship with sure. Arlington Road. It actually became a big movie with big stars, and he wound up having a massacre that, that persists till It's not a terrible today. script, Arlington Road. Like, I actually, I mean, I think there's something interesting there, but ultimately... It, it's not. Yeah. I'm not knocking Arlington yeah. Road yeah, as much as I'm not knocking Aaron Everything Kruger, he's done like, since. Yeah, he kind of gets lucky on the spec, yeah. and then gets this job rewriting my favorite fucking horror franchise at the time uh, and destroys yeah. it. Like, and then yeah, the yeah, next movie was Reindeer Game. He, truly, he destroyed yeah. it. He wrote like, three Transformers movies, you know. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't even War get to come back for the fifth one. Did he do a Ring movie? Like a, Am I making that up? Yes. Or did he, we, I think he did the first one. Yeah. And I don't so like I, her, I, so I do want to... I, I don't either. I, I don't even know why people like that movie. It's I don't, unsatisfying. I don't like, like that most unsatisfying of, ending of all time. I don't like that era of greasy ghost Japanese girls that happened in the early 2000s. I, I think that whole era of horror fucking sucks. But, you know, hey, we're here to talk about, uh, you know, can I, can I, our I favorite do, 80s I, pedophile. And at some point, I, I, I'll give my Second thoughts on Second for me, I'm a big Gary um, Glitter but person. But I do, because um, uh, right, I know Phillips. that... The, that Kenny and Tom are interested in my thoughts on, on They Live at some point. But I want to just take oh, a yeah, second here. I really am. To um to kind of calibrate us just a little bit into 1989, and yeah. so we this is the fifth installment of this franchise, a franchise that started and forgive me, it started in '80. Am I making that 84. up? Eight, 84. 84. Um, yeah. So there's been a movie basically every year, give or take. Yeah, it was it was 84, then 85, then they took a year off to get uh, Dream Warriors in 87, which was the right call because some extra time to let the script simmer. Yeah. Uh, seems like was a good thing. Also doesn't hurt <laughs> that you get Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell, you know, two of the right. best screenwriters yeah. horrors ever had. And then uh, almost... But it's not like the, the most successful one of the franchise, which is the no, irony. No, four, four is. Four, four is, like, buying, like, far away. Well, that's... I mean, we're all, we're all cinema... Fans, and that's the thing that you always notice with box office is like the best one is not actually the one that makes the most money. Yep. The one that comes after the best one makes the most money because yep. then everyone is back on it, and it's like, oh, Dream yeah. Warriors was so great. Let's go see uh, the Dream Master, and then everyone packs in the theaters, and then everyone's <laughs> like, they clearly Fuck didn't this. get Frank Darabont back. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. So yeah. So, so they go. They go one a year for three entries. They take another year off for Freddy's Dead. That year doesn't help them this time uh, yeah. because it's terrible. <laughs> See, Kenny finding out that Kenny likes Friday Six, uh, Elm Street Six. Excuse me. Yeah. Is like yeah. finding out my father was having an affair my entire life. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> that warms my heart. Here's the thing. Uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> I I <laughs> so I going into this this watch I'd seen one three four five Freddy versus Jason uh and that's it so I'd never seen six and I'd never run the series the way I did these are movies that I like would catch when they were on TV and the yeah. only one I ever remember like sitting down start to finish was one Right. I'd yeah. never seen two, for instance. So running through the whole series, yep. six is like to me a bit of a breath of fresh air after the after four and five, which I think are like monotonous. I think you're living in the same kind of you're living in the same color scheme. You have the same protagonist, who I think is the most boring protagonist of the series. And then I really like Lisa Zane in six a lot. I think she's really cool. And I, I have no at that point six. I have no issues with Goofy Freddy. Right, I think it's so, kind of fun. Wait, so can I just say you, one thing real quick? Can I yes. ask one question, Kenny? So you're saying you did not want to meet Terror's newest edition, A Nightmare on Elm Street Five? The I mean, Dream Kenny Child? did. He obviously <laughs> wanted to meet the Dream Child. I just, I mean, you guys, I, I hate, know I had the, I hate the Dream I'm Child. I'm gonna get tired. But, right, and go I'm ahead, forget Tom. how many props wow. I bought. So okay, I'm gonna you, ride you, hard you, for this movie. It's gonna be weird. You say that about six feels like a breath of fresh air. Do you know what who was originally going to do Elm Street? Yeah, 6? Uh, yeah, God, yeah. Peter Jackson. I saw you tweeted today. Yeah, he. <laughs> <laughs> I follow you on Twitter, and I yeah, pay close. I play close attention to your tweets because they might be about wrestling, which like one was today. By the way, did you enjoy the event? I don't get it. I don't get it until like right now. Yes, it was really good today. Yeah, Brian did and, uh, and they could be bad. Oh, you watched on YouTube too. You're a real, you're a real guy. You, <laughs> you're a real Tony Khan head over here. Hey, let me tell uh, you, Tom got into Comic Con just to watch the AEW panel later this year. So you know, yeah, on four hours of sleep of another night, destroying myself. Ugh, yep. What an I'm, idiot! I, I, I am. I've run too far afoul. Yes, I follow you on Twitter. Uh, the. Uh, we went for P- Peter Jackson had rewritten or had written a six, and so, this is after yeah. he's proven he's a master. So, I, so I hear you. Yeah, so he he was writing a script while Mike DeLuca, one of the execs at New Line, was writing a script with Rachel Talalay's, you know, giving him the story ideas. Peter Jackson's script was so, is so good, and it's such a great idea where it's basically like a meta commentary on the series where Freddie is like a joke. He's not threatening anymore. Kids are literally like taking sleeping pills to like go to sleep. Oh, so I've read about this. Yes, it, it sounds amazing. And then like he accidentally kills one of them, giving him his, his like he's getting his juice back. I'm like, that's amazing. Literally better than like I, I, I truly it blows my mind that they went with literally the worst script that ever crossed their paths instead of Peter Jackson. But then again, if he made that movie. Who knows if we get Lord of the Rings? So I guess, uh, you know. Well, so here's, there. okay, I, I, I need to, I need to take a second here to ask sort of a, a more macro question of you guys, because yeah. 
as I stated earlier, I don't really know shit about horror. But so it's it, it's kind of hard to get granular um, in terms of like none of these movies really connect. Freddy's the only thing that connects all these films together for all intents and purposes. He dies at the end of every one and then they twist themselves into pretzels to bring him back at the beginning of every film. Or so they just I, have a dog piss on his grave and just say, or they have a dog eh, just fire it. Sure. Thank you. Thank so, you for picking that one up, Tom. I appreciate so, it. So my, I guess my question is more about like looking at this franchise as a whole from 30,000 feet, do you feel that it is like because like they try to reboot it in 2010 and it doesn't work. Not just not. I don't even mean that the movie doesn't work, but like it doesn't actually launch a franchise. Like it doesn't, doesn't actually connect. launch any other movies. Doesn't it doesn't connect. really people connect. People fucking hate it. People fucking but people it made really money. Hate it. But it that's did make money. All, but that's what all those remakes at the time did. You know, we this is the thing we talked about on the screen. But they all had rap. Rob Zombie's two Halloween movies break Labor Day weekend records, mm-hmm. but everybody fucking hates them. Uh, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, which I think is one of the best Friday the Thirteenth movies makes a shit ton of money. People fucking hate it. It then gets tied up in legal battles, even though they, they twice came like two weeks from shooting new ones. People just hated these movies, but well, they kept going to see them. But this this just feels so rich to me. Like watching this this franchise, I was just like, how have they not found a way to so to bring this back in like a fun meta way. So so this is the thing me and Mike talk about all the time. Of yeah. all the franchises, this is the one with the greatest potential of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And when you when I say I gen, generally don't like this franchise cuz the majority of them I don't like, but you look at 1, 3 and New Nightmare all to, all connected with Wes Craven, but then you have 3 the Frank Darabont Chuck Russell connection. Dream Warriors has the best creative team of any of it's the Hel- franchises. It's and, and Rennie Harlan, right? That's yep. four. Well, no, that's, that four. four. that's four. That's four. Oh, three, right. three is Chuck Russell directing yeah. and yeah, he yeah, co-writes yeah. with Darabont. But Ru- yeah. Wes Craven also wrote uh, the script and they rewrote him. Right. That's the best team any of the sequels of any of the franchises had until like Rob Zombie made his Halloween movies. Because every one of them... They get yeah. jobbers. They just get guys that are here to do a job. Right. Like Rennie right. Harlan had a good career after this, but he was never like an auteur. He he was like right. at best a vulgar auteur. He was good at doing just blowing shit up. Right. Even Stephen Hopkins, he was good at blowing shit up. He found his bet his job as found a, a niche. Guy. I mean, he's had quite the career. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he launched twenty four basically. He directed the yeah. fr- half yeah. of the first season. Yeah. And but like th- these franchises always get jobbers, but. It's so clear in Elm Street, you don't get a jobber to do this franchise. You need to get a real filmmaker. Yes. I also think when you look at those remakes, and I was thinking about this and why not, I mean, you know, whether they connected or not, there are many people who are now rediscovering the Rob Zombie Halloweens and they're all in on them. uh, You know, Um, there are a lot of people who stand by the Friday the 13th remake. And I was thinking about how Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that remake comes out, that kind of kicks off this remake boom. And yeah. uh, people enjoyed that because I think it was, you know, there was something about they were actually doing something kind of exciting with that. They were doing, it basically taking the movie that ostensibly kicked off the slasher boom even before Halloween and went, let's use all the techniques we've learned since. With Rob Zombie's Halloween, it's a very, very different interpretation of that character and interpretation of that world and with friday the 13th i don't know if you guys have watched the newest friday the 13th but while i wouldn't say it does anything groundbreaking the thing that that version does is it 
takes all of the elements that we've come to identify with Jason. Like if somebody who has mm-hmm. never seen a, fr- a single Friday the 13th movie, you ask them what they know about Jason Voorhees. They ask you, oh, yeah, he's guy, hockey mask, kills a bunch of kids as a summer camp, all that stuff. None of that exists in a single film. It's right. the weirdest shit to have to explain to people who aren't horror people. Yeah. Not just, yeah. oh, Mrs. Voorhees is the killer in the first one, but he doesn't get his mask right. till the third. Then by the time he becomes the lumbering beast, he's already on a boat to Manhattan and shit. Like, it's, it's too much. So that movie just goes, fine, we're giving you the Friday the 13th you're always looking for. The problem with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is it's not doing anything. Like, there's no. nothing within well, I was going to... Yeah. I, I, I wonder if... Because you mentioned the... the uh, um, fucking uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, right? Mm-hmm. Part of this is Michael Bay is producing these films. So Platinum yes. Dunes yeah. does that and he does yeah. this nightmare thing. And he's not a great fit in the sense that like these movies look kind of slick in his you know music video way, but like they're so self-serious. Like that nightmare movie, which I don't hate necessarily, is really grim and like it's it doesn't get to fun of the series which i I get i get i get what like i understand the impulse to go that grim with elm street because when you really think about the premise it's fucking grim i mean it's literally about a a spectral child rapist coming back to kill kids in their dreams like it's there's no hope you can't sleep eventually you're gonna sleep and this fucking guy's gonna kill you Right. Um, I and, and as much as you know, Michael Bay, that Platinum Dunes, Daniel Pearl shot like super slick yeah, look. Yeah, it it actually, I think it's really good in that Elm Street remake because this is a franchise that's all about the visuals, and there's some good visuals yeah. in that. Like when she's there in the, the pharmacy and she's yeah. doing the micro sleeps, and it's like yeah. drifting in and out from the pharmacy mm-hmm. to the boiler. I'm like, that's all right, that's good. It doesn't help that the director on the press tour was like, yeah, I never liked Nightmare on Elm Street. They kind of kept having to badger me to make this movie, and I just gave in and said, sure, why not? Which is like, weird. yeah, that's, that's, that's good to hear. That's, that's the weird thing yeah. with that movie is that it doesn't have the other ones, the others of those remakes you can at least look at and say, okay, whether it works or not, I understand that when they decided we're remaking Friday the 13th or we're remaking uh, Halloween – we found somebody who came in with a pitch of here's how to do it different. And I remember right. we were in college when it came out. Tom and I and a group of us, uh, a friend of ours, Carrie, uh, who you guys know, um, or, or Phil, but we, um, we all went. And I remember sitting there and for the first like, 15, 20 minutes being really excited because it felt like maybe they were about to do something interesting. And then yeah. do you guys get that feeling uh, when you watch a movie where you think you know where it's going and your brain's going like, oh God, they're going to do this. And then when the movie doesn't do it, you go, oh, well, the thing I thought would be so much more interesting. Yeah, we, we do That's, that all the time. That was my biggest problem. <laughs> the way we I watch like, movies. At least for me, when I watched, because uh. the thing with the Elm Street remake is they kind of toe the line a little bit for a while in that of like, did Freddy actually do anything? Like there's a little hint of that where it's like, Correct. was he... And I remember sitting there and thinking, what a smart way to revamp. But then they, this. Then they just throw it away. That's the problem. I thought, what a smart yeah. way to revamp this franchise is yeah. to make it. Freddy is seeking revenge on these kids because mm-hmm. he was basically mm-hmm. killed by a, you know, by a righteous mob over nothing. 
Yep. I, uh, I thought that too. I, I honestly, I thought that too as it was playing yeah. out. I was and, like, this and, is interesting. But and it would have and it would have been a great metatextual thing of like Wes Craven couldn't say he's a child rapist in the '84 because of all the rash of those phony uh, like uh, daycare scandals where it ended up the kids weren't getting molested. Yeah, the, the satanic kid. panic shit and all that. So it would have been this interesting metatextual thing of making it that Freddy was actually a victim of that, giving him a sort of almost he's kind of righteous in his quest for vengeance but also mm-hmm. like no he's 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 i mean he's still a dream killer killing children uh you know give you that interesting moral push pull that y- y- you didn't really get in the series until they could have at that point but so it feels like we're all perhaps in agreement that the best film in this franchise is the first one but that the second best is probably the third one well uh, i depending- i think I think you know. Well, I think they're one, two, one, new, three, and New Nightmare are all Top incredible yeah. films. Yeah. But I mean, New Nightmare. I'm surprised you like you don't like it more, Phil, because it's adaptation of the horror movie. It's so mm-hmm. it's so uh, yeah. good and for us. So <laughs> like the that's it the wasn't thing that, that I didn't like it, me, but I think no, I, I, you clearly liked it. I'm not saying you didn't. I liked I thought, it. Like, I, I liked it. It's I an think obvious I, number two to me. It, I so. think for me is that it's so fucking strong for like the first two acts. Like it's it's just like sort of like shocking. And then Aaron Kruger does a rewrite. And on the then third Aaron Kruger kind of gives you your third act. Well, well, and it, it just feels a little like. There's all. Right, so it, also, it I, hang on. Okay. Yeah, no, Mike, you go. Sorry, no, no, I, was gonna, I was just going to bring up my one problem. <laughs> my one problem with New Nightmare that you and I have been talking about for over a decade, which yes. is my biggest hang up with New Nightmare is uh-huh. I will fully believe, I will fully believe that the manifestation of evil uh, actually comes out through horror films and can possess our real world, I will buy that. You are asking me to buy that every person in Hollywood recognizes Heather Langenkamp by name? I, I'm just saying, if you want me to buy into it, when hey, she listen, goes that's to the, the hospital... That's the, that's the Hollywood I want to live in. But I'm saying, when Things she goes are to the hospital... So different. I it- You're wrong. You're wrong. She was in just the 10 of us. No, Kenny, that everybody watched that show. That is my point is that more realistically, instead of somebody going, oh, you're Heather Langenkamp, they should go, you, oh, you were, you did that show. The, what was it? Eight is enough. Yeah. No, it wasn't eight is no. enough. What was it? It was the show. You were in that show, right? That should be no. it. It should be five no. minutes. No, no. <laughs> no, the best fantasy element of that is that Wes Craven lives in that palatial oh, like mansion. Incredible. Well, that's, which, that's which, the one bummer. Which, which he even says in the in the Never Sleep Again, he's like, in the original script, I was, you know, I was constantly running from Freddy. So Michael Berryman from Hills of Eyes was driving me around in a van. I'd cut my eyelids off so I could just keep writing the script. Then I thought, nah, it would just be easier if I lived in a mansion. That would have been, <laughs> been so great way, if he was in the van. I, I, so, I, I, so I, I, I really do love that. I, I love I, I loved Wes Craven as every man. That's There's something so kind of like charming about that to me he's but, a good well, actor craven, by the way like i was well, i was impressed he actually was good well because well, well, Wes craven's just you know he's such an interesting p- presence and personality it's like he's he says this he would say this in interviews all the time people would always come up to me assuming i'm this like long-haired sleazy like i'm in a color movies kind of guy yeah. and then John it's like Carpenter. oh no he 
not, not even John Carpenter, more like the guy who directed Friday Part 5, the guy who was, like, directing pornos before he made it. Uh, <laughs> even though Wes but Craven then, was also directing pornos before he made those films. But, but like, people would meet Wes Craven and Classy it's like, oh, no, pornos. he's just this, like... He he's just this Ralph Lauren dressing like college professor, this soft spoken, just old gentleman who Yeah, who we, be, like, we've covered music pipe. of the heart. So we, yeah. we know that's who we wanted to be. That, that's who we wanted to be. So but I, like I, I, okay. I, to, no, because no, you said the third act of New Nightmare is kind of where it falls apart for you. Yeah. Every third act in the Elm Street franchise is bad. Yeah. I don't they never know how to wrap they don't know how to wrap these movies up. Because there's you have one a that's, villain. There's one that's kind of good. Which one? Two. Oh, no. fuck off. Two <laughs> sucks. <laughs> when she no, kisses Fre- Freddy, it's incredible. All right, let's talk about Freddy. Freddy vs. Jason also has the best ending. Because that's Phil, the one where he knows exactly where it has to go. Wait, wait. Uh, Freddy versus Jason is interesting. Because I, I want to get back to something. Not to, okay. you know, I, again, this yeah. is going to be a three-hour pod. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Halloween, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm sorry, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. are eminently remakeable because those guys don't talk, yeah. and that's not a small detail. Like no, we not. just don't know that much about those guys, except basically they're various forms of maniac, and they are basically unkillable. Right. Yes. Whereas Freddy is hilarious and we know so much about the him. Best. And Chucky, He's by the, the way, is all Chucky is also hilarious and yeah. we know so much about him. But those two move, those two franchises had to go into kind of horror and almost satire. I'm sorry, comedy and almost satire pretty early on. So when you keep saying that Freddy we don't have the fun of the series like Mm -hmm. you to remake it with the fun of the series i think that would take a lot of fucking guts for a filmmaker to come out and in this day and age to say i'm remaking nightmare but for people who actually have seen the fucking movies well no i I don't mean it like I meant more. I'm not knocking you. I'm not knocking you. No, no, no. I know you're right. I think you're right because they keep remaking Chucky and they keep understanding that that character is inherently funny, right? They keep understanding that that only works as a comedy. But what they don't seem to understand is the Freddy of Nightmare One, A, was hilarious, but B, like, is long gone. Like, he's he's now a guy who has an MTV special. Well, I think there's also. Okay, but I. Okay. I I just. I I, I, I do want to say that the. I guess what I was getting at more than anything is that watching the remake, the 2010 thing that they tried to do, it, there's nothing there that is launching a franchise. Like no. that, that to me, like is it, what was so baffling about it. Like I get it. You hired Jackie Her- Earl Haley, but like, he's not going to, I mean, that's just not a guy you're going to want to follow through five or six movies as much as I love Jackie Earl Haley. And then I, I look at like the various players in it. It just, it, it, it's just a very limp attempt to reboot a franchise. I want to ask something else. Okay. Phil, having not yeah. seen Freddy versus Jason, mm-hmm. what do you think happens? What, like, what do you think that, what do you think? I is think they the... fight a lot. Okay. You would but... think. <laughs> what do you think? You guys get what? what I'm getting at, right? Yes. What's the orientate not sexual? What's the orientation of these characters? How are we feeling about these two characters? Like, where are movie? they? 
No. How do we feel about them? Who are our rooting interests? Yeah. What, what, like, what, who do you think's fallen? Who do you think's the heel? Who do you think's the baby face? Yes. Um, I think who's good and who's bad. Oh boy. I think that, I think that Jason's the heel. Um, again, I, knowing nothing about this, all, all I know about this movie Freddie versus Jason, that is, is that they were trying to do it for a very long time. And that eventually they did it and horror fans didn't like it because of all the various sort of like false starts and and thought what it could have been and that it didn't, you know, uh, pay off in the way that they wanted it to. All I know is that they fight in some sort like, does he drag him to hell or something like that? Or does it start in hell? Or I know that Jason goes to hell. Jason, both both of uh, our two fine gentlemen are in hell at the beginning of the movie. Okay. Okay. okay so now they're Phil, fighting uh, in hell. Now, Phil, what do you well, think? No, they're not fighting in Jason hell. X. Let's just try and get. Oh, they Phil go to, to space. Every that uh, much I know. Every Jason. I know he goes to space. <laughs> <laughs> and I know. I know that. I know that Cronenberg is in space with him. They not, go not to space. Not. He's not in space with him. He's not. Um, that's not before space. the space trip. See, okay. they go to space, oh, and despite the fact that there's no gravity in space, the bodies do indeed hit the floor. <laughs> that's, a, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's the song. I mean, uh, I, I guess, I, I guess I'm what I'm sort of getting at here, and it's it's something that that Kenny and I were texting about a little bit too, which is that new nightmare. Well, I, I mean, I want to just okay. tell you the answer. Yeah. Okay, please, please. Jason's the good guy. Jason's just your sweet little boy, big who, big old doofus boy, my large adult son. Old, yes, he's just a Stop sweet it. old boy. Yes, he's want, just a I, sweet do, old dummy. Do you want? Do you want to know what, what how this the, the movie kicks off and sure. how this is how one's the good, one's bad? Freddie knows he can't he doesn't have power if kids don't know about his name. So he resurrects Jason to kill kids in Springwood. His people are gonna blame him for it. And so Jason uh Freddie gets his powers back, but the kids decide, like the first one, we're gonna drag for Jason, uh, we're gonna drag Freddie out of the dreams. Bring him to Elm, uh, the Camp Crystal Lake, and the two boys are going to fight. And Jason's just like, I'm just here. Somebody's in my way. I'm going to slice them and dice them, but I just want to go. That's a back. sweaty premise. Like, it's that, actually that's, not if it's not, yeah. it's not if you watch it, it's actually pretty simply streamlined based okay. on like these characters' histories. And I read, like, there's a whole book detailing every script that was written before getting to this one. You want to talk about sweaty? There's one where it's um, set in the quote-unquote real world where the killer who Jason Voorhees is based on is on trial mm. and Freddy Krueger exists and his cult of Fred heads are trying to capture and kill Jason. And uh, okay, okay. Can, I, can I also just do, can we all agree that like someone versus someone is never a good idea? Like it never works. I don't want to see I mean, Batman versus uh, Superman. I don't want to uh, see Alien yeah. versus Predator. I don't want to see these me. things fighting. Excuse me, Godzilla versus Kong. My two large that actually did work. You're right. You're right. Year. That worked. <laughs> that worked. <laughs> I stand corrected. You, you, that's true. They, and yeah. I'll say, I'll say it. I think Freddy vs. Jason, for what it is, is probably <laughs> the plat- it's, it's the platonic ideal of what you like. Sure. It's better than Alien vs. Predator. It's I just pitched- like. I pitched to Clay Keller that Phil, me and you do a versus draft, but I don't oh, think I we do got that. it. 
Someone else, I think someone else oh, called it. Oh, but yeah, Kramer versus Kramer, I guess, Kramer would be the seven. On Kramer's that. number that one. Was bullet, that was Mike's joke. That was Mike's joke. That was my. I had that bit at the start, but you know, no one, no we one talked heard over it. it. Fine. So yeah. okay, can I? I, I, I want to just. Um, also, Kramer versus Kramer sucks. Sorry, yes, anyway. it does it not sucks. suck. That's why I said it's seven. It doesn't suck. I like it. Um, I, I, I think Kramer versus Kramer is a movie that you watch now and go, "Oh, this dude hates women." This is uh, weird. Okay, so um, anyway, back to Fred. I, I have a different um, take on it. <laughs> I love. Do we the really want to go down the Kramer, which versus is Kramer more, which is roll. more of a, which is my my take on Kramer versus Kramer is more of an indictment of Hollywood at large than an indictment of the movie, which I think is perfectly fine. But the indictment, the uh, the Hollywood that the indictment of Hollywood at large is like, of course. The movie, the divorce movie that wins Best Picture is the one where the woman is the evil monster and the man is the wonderful parent. Well, like, of course. Be crazy. You I mean, that's more bitches of a, be... Okay. I, I, it's just a fact. I think that's more... I'm not... I want to I want to. I think it's more of a, of, a, of a symptom of the time that it came out. Hollywood is shit. Oh, it, but I also don't think yeah. that... But, the, good flick, look, good flick. I, here's per, what I want to say. Good, good seven on the verses. Here's what I want to say to not to not cause any problems. And I also understand that we're getting pretty deep into it. So I want to say one thing that hopefully makes this more bearable for your listeners. You guys have to understand, listeners, all of you who have paid for this. Um, uh, we don't hang out. Like me and Tom hang out. Phil and Kenny hang out. But we're on opposite coast. We never hang out uh, outside of podcasts. So unfortunately... <laughs> This has just become a night out with the boys on Mike. Ostensibly, well, I'm doing the best I can to try to keep this thing on something close. And to everybody rails. appreciates is, that. So keep it going. It is 45 minutes in, and we have not talked about the Dream Child. So um, I, I want to try for a second to talk about the Dream Child. Of course. Um, the synopsis of the Dream Child is: This is the fifth installment of the popular franchise. Focuses on Alice, a survivor of the fourth film, who believes that Freddy Krueger has been eliminated for good. She optimistically hopes to start a life with fellow survivor Dan. The nightmares begin soon, though, and Alice learns she's pregnant. When her friends start dying, Alice suspects that Freddy is using the fetus within her as a weapon. She can fight the demon. Can she fight the demon while protecting her unborn child? Nightmare on Street 5, The Dream Child, opened on August 11th, 1989, in third place behind Parenthood and The Abyss. It would go on to make $22 million on an $8 million budget. It's got 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, 31% from audiences. I'm going to read a couple uh, brief snippets of some reviews. The New York Times wrote that the film doesn't pretend to be anything more than it is, a genre film that won't totally insult your intelligence or your eyes. Variety called it a poorly constructed special effects showcase with highly variable acting, but praised the special effects. Uh, Chicago Tribune uh, praised the direction of Stephen Hopkins, saying, uh, using a style heavily indebted to music videos, lots of fast cutting, odd angles, and gratuitous camera movements. Hopkins keeps the energy up, though his manner is a bit too choppy to keep all the diverse elements together. Um, so here's, I, 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 the reason that I liked this movie is because um, I feel like it's really close to being a Tim Burton movie. Um, it's just really kind of I, I I appreciated the set design. Uh, I liked all of the the creature effects. I think that the dream child himself is great. Um, I liked that there was like kind of a second monster, sort of for a second there as a and, and that sort of the duality of that I enjoyed. 
Um, and I loved all the stop motion shit. Like, I just feel like mm-hmm. it, it really, it's, it's tangible. It looks fucking great. Like, that stuff worked for me. So I, I, I understand so, that maybe it's not a great story. But, well, yeah. there's That's also, true. it's funny you say that because I was thinking about this as I was watching it. You mentioned how you liked it because it was almost a Tim Burton movie. Yes. And I just want to say that it struck me that between uh, this movie, mm-hmm. Predator 2... Uh, blown Away, a movie I always confuse with Arlington Road, but Blown Away, and most especially Judgment Night. Stephen Hopkins' filmography is full of movies that I go, this is almost what it needs to be. <laughs> like, And yeah. I mean, no disrespect, but every yeah, single, yeah. like Judgment Night especially, uh, shout out to our mutual Kenny's listener, a big Jackson Judgment Moore. Night fan, right? Kenny, I, you love, love Judgment Night. I love Judgment Night, but I agree with you. I should love that Judgment Night. Judgment, Light, Judgment Night could have been a like modern peck and paw. It's a weird and, thing because you watch Judgment like great cast. This is a good premise. It's it's got a good soundtrack. It's shot pretty well. Why isn't this working? Like yeah. what what's missing here? And Dream Child to me is another one where it's like, I think it's a smart idea. It's a it's a new idea as opposed to like four, which is just five, which is just Dream Warriors light. Uh, I I like some of the elements of this. I like some of the kills in this. I like all this. What? It, why isn't it over that head? There's like well, a little. It's a thing well, you can't get over. Well, okay. I can't even totally blame Stephen Hopkins for this one because the little details you get in Never Sleep Again, such as uh, he was hired on Valentine's Day, 1989. The movie yeah. came out August 1989. <laughs> yeah. He had. Is that not enough four, time to make a movie? Uh, I, I, I never I'd made one. Don't check. know. I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to double check. <laughs> I'd have to double check my filmmakers, <laughs> but um, yeah. So he has. It's a four- miracle the movie's any good, wouldn't you agree? Mir- yeah. So th- it looks great. The, all that technical mm-hmm. stuff is truly, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the script is just absolute garbage. I mean, it literally just lurches from scene to scene. There's like no tension or drama at all. Uh, you know, Freddie's fully devolved into a, a Catskills comedian at this point, but it's so It's lazy. a boy! Bon it's appetit! <laughs> bitch! <laughs> That's what yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's so, so good. The, the worst he's so is the, good. The, the worst is the motorcycle scene. I love the motorcycle scene! How no, do you hate I'm, that? I'm, technically, it looks great, it's but like his great. quips... His quips Fuel are just... Injection. <laughs> He's literally just yelling car terms. Fuel <laughs> injection. Overdrive. So in fairness, <laughs> signal, bitch. So in Phil, fairness, Phil, with Phil and Freddy's bromance is Phil and Freddy's bromance is pretty wonderful. I, I didn't really ex- fucking dig it. I know you. You love him. You fell for him. Which I, he's yes. a, oh my he's god, a, he's a funny guy. I have to know. <laughs> and Chick loves funny guys. I have to know. I have to note one thing, which is <laughs> Phil. I did think of you during one episode of Freddy's Nightmares so much. I needed to bring it up to you. It's the finale of season one because you always talk about how you don't like horror movies, and I didn't know how you'd feel about Freddy. And the premise of the the season finale of season one is it is about uh, a, a teenage boy who's like he's you know he kind of dresses in black and he's a bit like you know uh, introverted. But he's got a crush on the hot Winona Ryder-esque goth rocker sure, sure, girl sure. in school. Yeah, yeah. But she's obsessed with Freddy Krueger and serial killers. And he's simultaneously like, I want to hang out with her. But also, this shit creeps me out. Right. Uh, and then, of course, Freddy 
who has taken this girl on as his paramour yeah, uh, comes after him <laughs> and he's terrified because yeah. Freddie is stalking him for stealing his girl. And I just watched that and I truly thought like, this is Phil's nightmare in high school in a way. You know him so well. It's, it's just, just like it's weird. Yeah, no, that that's that definitely that, Phil, that I, I have a question nerve. for you, Phil. It'd be triggering to watch, to watch this watch whole that. series. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, you're you're you know a, a self reputed uh, wimp when it comes to horror movies. You yeah. ran through this series like it was nothing. Yeah. Um, were you ever scared? Um, I think that I was. I think that the most upsetting portion. Of the of the franchise for me was in the third one when the kids' tendons are oh, used yeah, like marionettes. Mm-hmm. Never never forget that one. That's the, the best. best. It's it definitely stayed with, like that was where I was just like, okay, this is this is genuinely upsetting. <laughs> and the, then, uh, it's he, great. It's really well done, but it's well, very upsetting. As 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 a writer for TV, did you get viscerally upset when Freddie turned into a TV, picked up a girl, and said, "Welcome to prime time, bitch," and then just slammed her into the? <laughs> no, I applauded. Obviously, is that is that what happens when you get greenlit for a show? Is yeah. that what they say? To you? <laughs> That's what they say. Yeah, greenlit, you bitch. Up. And they just went, look, welcome well, to CBS All Access, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think that the reason that I enjoyed this series and was hoping this was going to be the one to win ultimately was because I knew it was the most dialed up. I knew it was the most sort of fantasy oriented, which is more yeah. my speed. Um, and, and when it's just a straight, like, I don't mean straight, but like, Jason and 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 uh, Mike Myers feel Michael Myers that is feel oh, more. Friends call him Mike. It's okay. Call him Mike. Uh, I find them more upsetting because it's so grounded, quote unquote. And yeah. this, I knew I could kind of. Well, I know that it inter- isn't obviously well, Mike, no, but, but I at was the same say, time, the I mean, interesting yeah. thing is you're absolutely right. If you were going to plow through a single franchise, this is the one for you. However. Mm. Of the ones that you get in 89, yeah. if you're talking like goofy and absurd, yeah. it's when, it's when Dream uh, Child Friday is the, the least of them now. Because obviously the, well, the, 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 one, the one from When he goes to New York? When, yeah, when Jason Mike Myers takes goes Manhattan. To no, Jason goes to New York. Jason, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Jason I was thinking Manhattan. because I was thinking fives versus fives for some reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you guys Jason, are right. Continue. <laughs> Jason takes Manhattan, which is uh, we covered it on our show. Yes. Uh, because we thought it'd be really funny if on April 1st we released an episode of a movie that would never make it in the registry. We thought people would find that fun. Not a popular episode. People did not care for that. <laughs> didn't go over well well it does feel like you really took a sharp left turn and people were probably a little bit you know unsure what to make of that who the fuck knows what these people want our most popular episode of all time is an old episode of you talking about babe too who the fuck knows what they want? i don't know <laughs> by the way i mean i i you guys yeah. want it? but i, I mean I kenny and understand. i can say kenny and i feel the same way episodes that just like off the charts huge have no correlation to a movie or a guest speaking of mike myers right phil yes despite shock me still one of our highest rated episodes really? no guest and it's just kenny and i sort of coming around to liking the movie by the end of the good picture but yeah it's, it's just goes to show there's no there's no rhyme or reason but but i i do want to so Tom, you talked a little bit about the development of this movie, and I guess apparently they approached Stephen King and Frank Miller at one point to write uh, and direct. 
I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that just okay. might be a right. rumor I mean, scuttle. I, but sure, uh, sure. Stephen Hopkins was like a pretty quick pickup for them because he was, he was young he was. and new. He was a uh, uh, like a storyboard visual guy, and he gets um, Predator Two right after this. Like basically, yeah. they handed um, Predator Two. Yeah. So the screenplay was the really difficult part because um, yeah. they went to what they were going through all the splatterpunk writers of the time, and they went mm-hmm. to David Scow. They they said no to his his idea. They went mm-hmm. to two other guys, splatterpunk guys. What was what was? Do you know what Scow's idea was? Oh, I, I'm God. sorry, I don't mean to take us off track, but I'm interested. I, we. I, I, I don't remember exactly. It, it's very quick in the documentary, okay. but it was just mainly not anything that we see in the movie. But they get two other splatterpunk guys. They get their script. They can only really write it quickly. They bring David Scow back to do dialogue polish. That's mm. about it. And then they're kind of writing it as they go because they they just have to fucking work so quickly, uh, like to the point where they basically had the studio and they built like all the sets basically like on top of each other. So mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, there were, there were times we were shooting scenes and we'd have to yell at the construction guys to stop fucking putting the set together Crazy. because Crazy. we have to we literally have shooting this scene while you guys are building like the Escher stairs from the end, like literally next door to us. Um, they, it, it, Stephen Hopkins even says he it, he he looks at it now and he's like, if somebody gave me that schedule today, I would just say no. I I literally it's impossible to do that. I don't know how we did it in '89. I get that. I get that. I have a question for you guys. That's a little bit on a tangent, but not really. But I'm curious as to on as to this what episode. You're yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what director who has not directed a horror film before would you want to see direct a horror film? Oh, more specific. Ooh. Who should reboot this franchise? Well, that I mean, right, well, that's or, I mean, that's Kenny's question too. But the, the the director that comes to mind for me, having watched this film, was Terry Gilliam. Like, I I'd love Terry Gilliam to just go like full on horror and see what he would do with it. I think it would be interesting because like the yeah. asylum stuff in this made me think about some of his asylum stuff that he's done with Twelve Monkeys and with uh, Fisher King a little bit and what have you, but. Is there a director that jumps out at you that A, to Kenny's question, should reboot this series, or B, that you would like to see do a horror film? Well, first Ooh. off, I want to point out, who knows if Terry Gilliam has made a horror film? I feel like he's made like <laughs> movies in the last five years that we don't it's know true. exist. It's true. Yeah, Mr. McGloria yeah. might be a horror movie. It might be. <laughs> like, I well, was going through yeah. my mind. I think it was Dr. Parnassus. Mr. McGloria. Dr. Parnassus. Different, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Parnassus <laughs> is the Natalie Portman... Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, Dr. Pedassis. Yeah, for all we know, no, for all like, we know the Zero Theorem is like fucking solid. I was solid. about to yeah, pull Zero be. Theorem. I was about to pull Zero Theorem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I'll give you I'll give you one, Phil. I'll give yeah, you please. one. Yeah. Who did the who definitely had the uh, scariest movie of ninety nine? Oh yeah. Uh, uh Julie Taymor. Ooh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah wait, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. Oh no, you know that. we should do yeah. it. Speaking of '99, the mm. fucking Wachowskis. Oh yeah, 100. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. Yeah. I well, my my Tamor thing was <laughs> what I want out of horror yeah. is uh, something that you rarely get today because I don't really like most modern horror movies. Uh, I want, I, except I like the Rob Zombie stuff because. Uh, I want to just be fucking floored by what I'm seeing. I want to be genuinely scared. And I want to actually feel like the people who are being wronged and being killed are real people. 
and yeah. aren't just there to be murdered. They're not real people. And I think in like the eighties and not in this franchise, because this franchise is hardly a horror franchise, but in nightmare and, uh, in Friday the 13th, which is like my seminal horror franchise, and in Halloween, uh, I always felt both of those things. I always felt scared. I always, it always felt visceral. And I always felt like the people who were getting killed, despite how poor the acting was usually, were real people and real kids. Uh, the, the way I felt at the end of Titus was that same feeling. It was a, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that so she, I think she can find it. So that, I that's agree hundred percent. That's a great answer. I'd love to see her reboot Nightmare. Well, and, I, say, I, and, yeah. I think and Titus is both. also, and Titus is also very tactile. And I like that about it too. But all right. So I'm going to pull one out of left field. I'm going to say okay. something that maybe folks won't like, but okay. I'll say it. Uh, he's only made like two films thus far, but I want it badly. Uh, I'm going to say Andy Circus. And my reasoning for this being... <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing his second film tomorrow. <laughs> I, so here's my thing with it. And I've said this to Tom Are you before. going to see Venom 2 tomorrow, Kenny? With, yeah, with Rollins. Because all this fucking kid wants to do, this beautiful, wonderful child wants to do, is watch, Squid, is watch Squid Game. And it's like where we're drawing the line. And Rollins and I have been in a war for the last two weeks about this. It's the first time he like, he, I'm like, Bron, do you want to go watch Survivor? Because we watched Survivor together. This kid, I used my best friend. And he goes, no, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> so the best Shit. I could, the best I could do is he's wanted to see fucking, yeah, Carnage. Carnage. And yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll take you to see Carnage tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Probably won't like you after it. I'm like, all right, great. So here's, yeah, let's see what let's see what Circus has to offer. Here's my I don't thing. Think, do you think, here's my thought. I'm sorry, just give me one second, yeah, Tom, please, just on this, on this. I don't think he'd like Squid Game, Kenny. He's watched, yo, dude, the internet right now is a mess. Like, he's watched 15-minute recaps of every episode on YouTube. He knows everything that happens. I should just let him watch it. Because because now we've, like, fucking, we've done the, the parent thing. Hey, you, and you, you've got to stick to your ground. You can't. You yeah, can't. Fucking, we drew can't the line in the. Now. We drew the line in the sand, and, and Laura's very much on the. We should not let him watch this. Half his friends are watching it. It's that's just, crazy. Just that, show that him the running man. Violent it's fine. Kids, but anyway, oh, you'd right. love that. Just show him the running man and be like, pretend it's in Korean. I, it sounds like the same <laughs> shit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you like, taller, uh, Tanaka. I am taller. Squid Game fans out there, um, it's not the same thing. Show him the okay, fine. Show him the Running Man, and then him, give him Karl Marx's Das Kapital, and be like, "There, put them together." You're fucking. I keep trying. I keep trying to substitute a, re, a real trying to savage substitute. burn from the guy yeah. who has a watch. Yeah, what a savage burn! I have not. I keep trying to substitute <laughs> in Hunger Hunger Games for it, and somehow he's got it in his head that Hunger Games is a ripoff of Squid Game. Oh, he's boy. like, that's just like a that's just like a ripoff version. I'm like, dude, and that's not how it works. I'll show you but, Battle yeah. Royale. Yeah, so, I, show I, Battle Royale. I, I, th- I think your son is Doctor Manhattan, and he doesn't realize time is not a circle. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay, no. so so okay. Cha- so, so Andy uh, Mike, Circus. you said Andy Circus. That's who you want to reboot the series, or just yeah, to make here's a my reasoning for yeah. both. Because my thing is, and I've talked about this with Tom, the problem with modern horror to me, yeah, is that we've lost what we once had. If you look at '80s and horror, right, and people talk about the '80s is a great time for horror. You had two different kinds of you had two different things going on. You had the really highbrow shit, right? You had the thing that were you know some of the more highbrow, high-minded carpenter stuff. As much as we talk about it as a genre guy, mm-hmm. 
You're not packing an audience just to see Prince of Darkness, but you also have shit like Possession. You have the strain of horror yep. that is leading to Silence of the Lambs winning Best Picture. Yeah, and Fancy Coppola Boy Horror. That, that, like that. kind of oh, right. started in the 60s and 70s, yeah. Yeah, but like you've got your highbrow. You've also got your lowbrow shit. You've got your cheap thrill slashers. Now, yeah. Elm Street can be a little more high-minded than that, but you still got those slashers that you go for and you go to see when you want that visceral thrill. I mean, I think about the fact that like, and Tom and I know this, we're, we're probably this weekend going to see Halloween Kills with my mother, who normally doesn't like horror, but when Halloween came out, she went to see it in the theater and loved it and really vibed with it. But because you just wanted to go see that, what bugs me about horror today is that all of it, other than like your straight to 10, like all of it is that A24 thing that kind of like occupies the middle ground yeah. because my frustration with elevated horror and I like so some like of the, the Ari Aster stuff is what you're saying. Oh, I can't get into Ari Aster. I, <laughs> you know, who cares? But the point is, yeah, great. You made Wicker Man. I love it. Okay, point is, um, no, it's wonderful. I love to watch a movie that I understand fully and then it spends 10 minutes at the end telling me anyway. See, what about, what about Robert Eggers? I, see, I Robert like, Eggers I like, rules. I like Robert Eggers. I, but my, my thing is, even so, like my problem with Elevated Horror is my same thing with like modern sci-fi, which is it's not highbrow or lowbrow. It is this middle ground mm. that tells its audience it's very smart for getting rudimentary things that it's spoon-feeding them. Right. Now, what I miss and what I want and what I fear in a way is like I think about watching Scream again for yeah. this other podcast was so refreshing. And I rewatched Saw recently, and it's fun because I remember that that was a thing like Elm Street, when you watch these Elm Street movies and then you see Freddy on Elm right, teenagers could go to the movies and just go, let's go see a can slasher I say, can movie. I, can I ask a question, fun. though? Because yeah. I do mm-hmm. feel like Blumhouse is existing in some sort of alternate A24 universe. Am I crazy in that They, they, are, the, they are the flip side. They are the they're, flip side. They're the closest, but I also think, like, and they do that uh, to some degree, but even then, like, I mean, they have... So there's some things where the Purge movies sort of occupy that realm to some degree. And I think the fact that there was a second escape room is a little encouraging because it's just like there's a dumb thing I can go to the movies to see. Um, What about like The Invisible Man? Well, I mean, yes, but The Invisible Man is a a, a different kind of animal in a way. I mean, that's one of those many legacy reboots of the Universal Monsters. I think my what I worry about sometimes is like I... I just want there to be a place for what used to exist, which was this, you know, yeah, we're going to crank out these, you know, we've got these right. franchises, we'll do these things. I, I feel like that's missing. Now, Andy, the reason I said Andy Circus, which is where this all started, <laughs> is that when you look at oh. Andy Circus and you look at what he's doing, especially with Venom 2, which is a 90-minute movie, yeah, made in the last 90-minute comic movie, it is a movie that is... Don't worry, Kennedy. You're going to get a half hour of trailers, so it'll, it'll get to two hours. Hey, I but need it, it to be 90 minutes. I got to pick up my daughter at a birthday party. <laughs> so it, it's a movie that knows what it wants to be. It knows the audience went to see this first one because it was dumb fun. It's giving me dumb fun. The thing I find refreshing about Andy Serkis is I think he could actually, if he sticks to this, yeah. wind up doing what people liked Peter Jackson for before Lord of the Rings which is the stuff like Dead Alive, which is the stuff like Bad Taste, which is I'm going to get you in, I'm going to get you out, I'm going to give you some fun. It's the thing that we still like Sam Raimi for because even his Spider-Man movies 
have the Evil Dead energy. Well, I think like, that I think the success of Venom Two should, in theory, give him a bit of a blank and, check on the next one. But, but that's we'll the question: Does he use that blank check to make something he doesn't need a blank check for? That's what I'm. That's where I keep going towards, which yeah. is Blumhouse A twenty four. They're part of the system. And when sure. you're part of the system, you don't need to take wild risks. Now, the risk they're taking is we're going to try to prove to you, maybe not Blumhouse as much, but uh, Ace Universe, we're going to try to prove to you that a horror movie can uh, can, can win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. That seems to be what they're trying to accomplish with some yep. of this elevated horror. Uh, yep. Blumhouse is we're going to prove to you that we can make $100 million with everything, um, which is, you yep. know, fine and whatever. That's their business model, but it does kind of lead to a flattening of this whole genre. What we don't have, and I don't really know how we're going to get it, is the fucking gum and popsicle sticks approach. And that's what, you know, we, 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 we mentioned that, that uh, Friday the 13th 5, part 5, was directed by a porn director. Um, that was that whole energy for that whole series was pull them. They, they, I mean, they, they literally had like, they, they had a, they had a, a stage dedicated to just pumping out Friday the 13th movies. And they just kept making them and, and took whoever was around there. Uh, and it just, they, it was all just so, you know, this is my basic theory in general, probably why I'm not a huge success is, uh, it's so much more important to make the decision. And it doesn't really matter if the decision is good or bad. Make the decision, move on. Make the decision, move on. And that's what I love about the Friday the 13th uh, franchise is it's make the decision, move on. Make the decision, move on. And just it feels so propulsive, you know? Um, And you're just not going to get that anymore. Everyone's way too contemplative. Everyone's seen, you know, random. I mean, it's not random, but but people like Ari Aster, people like Jordan Peele, or all these people seemingly kind of, you know, come out of nowhere and make these, you know, really lauded films. Any, and, and you have the equipment now. You have the access to good actors. You have access to crews. You have access to even sets and stages. Yeah. You have access to CG. It's not that hard to do that really, you know, stuff that looks great. And that's frankly not what I want out of horror. Like the stuff that, like, my kids want to watch. Think that, like, like the Conjuring, like I'd rather activity do blow my brain kind out. of. Like, yeah, I, I do feel yes, like. they did. I do think that the horror. I think genre, that was like fifteen years ago, though. Dude. No, for sure. But I, 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 as someone who doesn't know horror, I'm, I'm just sort of looking at this from the outside. But I do. I think love that, and I love those movies, and I love the yeah. Purge, uh, and I love the Purge franchise. But um, I just think that the just horror not, yeah. genre, from a studio perspective, is still incredibly lucrative. It's the type of thing where, like, even on the top end, you're not spending more than $30 million on this movie. So you're probably going to be okay. You still have, you know, Malignant. You still have the Conjuring series. You still have, like, there's no shortage of different sort of, and, and Kenny just mentioned the, the Jordan Peele stuff. Like, it's a pretty fertile genre. This is, like, this is, this era is probably the best era for horror since the 80s because the 90s were dire. Uh, right. You, you, had, you had some high points with Candyman and Scream and whatnot, but it was ultimately pretty fucking dire. The nineties. Well, Kenny uh, and I for ninety nine, we've talked like there's basically no horror films in there. It was a nightmare. I mean, it's it's hard. <laughs> I mean, and then the two thousands don't start great. And yeah. even though I like a bunch of the remakes, that era is not the best era for horror. 
not a lot but of then saw stuff. hits and like paranormal activity hits and well saw hits you know rob zombie you know makes his big hit with the devil's rejects but then he gets sucked into the remake craze even though he makes him very much his own his own um uh but that it, it really wasn't until the you know early 2010s or whatever i can't really say which exact movie what did it but right. it's been a great decade uh you know where you could get a lot of the highbrow stuff you know you get yeah. the witch but then you get some really good down and dirty grimy shit like the purge movies or you right. know you know there's a lot of great indie stuff uh you know fine you know the evil dead remake was fucking great one of the most viscerally nasty movies i've seen in a movie or like there was the your next your next and you like your next and uh, yeah, happy death day and they're, they yeah. they, they there there's there is a lot of fun to be had in this in this vein yeah um but it's you're just never going to get the the you know well, there's, there's the, the, run, the run and gun, but well, because I mean, movies just, I mean, studios they drag everything out now because they know what they have and they know that there's always the potential for a franchise. So we gotta properly manage it. I mean, the last time we saw that kind of run and gun that Friday the Thirteenth had was the Saw movies. They made they cranked yeah. out seven in seven years, yeah. and then well, they ran that into the ground. I have a question though, because um, looking at the enormous success of the two last Halloween films that uh, David Gordon Green did with uh, Danny McBride. Um, You have to assume that someone's looking at Nightmare on Elm Street. Someone's looking at Friday the 13th, right? Like they've got to be kind of looking at the thing. Friday the 13th is, is locked up (laughs) in legal battle. So they literally can't do anything. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know what's going on. There might, there, there has to be something like right. there must be a legal thing going on that we don't know mm. about because it's been 11 years. I know people kind of, you know, shit their pants over yeah. the remake or whatever, but it's like <laughs> it's been 11 years. Yeah. You know, the, the Halloween really has like restored what people think about 100%. slasher movies. Yeah. I mean, slasher movies are kind of seeing a nice little resurgence now. We had the Fear Street trilogy over the summer that was really good actually. But can I do you think that one of the keys to the success of these Halloween films is Jamie Lee Curtis, though? Like the thing about yes. the Nightmare on Elm Streets yeah. is that you don't have a Nancy of the same caliber. As I have Lori. an idea. I have an yeah. idea to bring Nancy back, though. So, you know, oh, oh, Hollywood, call me. Shitheads. I, um, <laughs> I, I think the bigger thing, I think the bigger thing, though, yeah. I mean, there's two things. One, I wonder if it could survive in terms of like. I, the Jamie Lee Curtis element, I think, kind of... It, it brought a lot of people in who, number one, wouldn't have gone otherwise, and number two, do not care about reviews. Now, that first one is well-received. Sure. The second one has been getting a lot of flack from people for reasons that feel kind of weird. Still going to make seen, $50 million. Oh, yeah, but that's, but that's why. Because <laughs> the people who are going to go see it are the people... Like, if my mom's going to go see it, she's not going to turn around and go... I don't know. Bill Gabiri said that he didn't like this part of the movie. Like no one's going to, it's like, that's not how it's going to fucking work. And I think that's a good thing because I think the problem too, like, I'll be honest. I do. I, I, we can't get into it too much, but a new candy man came out this year. Do I think it was hampered by some studio shit? I think that's obvious when you watch it, but I found it really interesting, but it was also a movie that because it had the pressure of the original and also people not understanding the original, it kind of got discourse to death before it hit the screens 
from a yeah. mix of people who were mad that it added social issues, which were always in the Candyman franchise, right. and other people who were saying, well, it was too on the nose or shit like that, that I do wonder with Elm Street especially, because Elm Street is, you read interviews with Robert England, and everybody asks him, how the fuck was it possible that you played a child murderer that was then on packs of gum for kids and had a novelty record with the fat boys? That was and he kind of just shrugs. <laughs> Yeah, and he's he's doing shrugs, and he's just like, I don't know. And I think to try and do, like, the fact that Elm Street was so successful with such an insane base to start from, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I wonder, I think you would have to do a lot of navigating for that to bring it back now and survive all of the trenches yeah. that it would have to dive through before it ever even hits the screen. People, well, that's, and, a, that's a problem. People, People get so fucking twisted about like movies nowadays and like morality and stuff where it's like horror needs to get to dark places. And if you guys like don't want your horror to hit a dark place, like, yeah, I agree. You bring you make another Elm Street movie in today's environment, man. People are going to lose their minds about like, oh, you're making a movie about a child molester. Is that the kind of thing we need to put into the world right now? I mean, like you look at some of these reviews for Halloween Kills and it's like, oh, well, it's just so nihilistic. Michael just kills people that he like just random people. It's so mean. I'm like, yeah, that's Michael Myers. That's what he does. Or it's also like people. I liked Candyman. I, I like Candyman a lot, but you saw reviews that, I mean, it was like the, you guys remember the episode, I think it's the Poochie episode of The Simpsons where the guy's doing the focus group and he's mm-hmm. talking to the kids and he goes, so you want something that reflects your daily life and is grounded, but also has high-flying fantasy? Because you saw people talking about Candyman and going like, I feel like it didn't properly tackle the issues of today. And also I wanted it to distract me from the issues of today, which is a tough balance to strike. That's and, that's yeah. I mean, and, you're you're getting into you're getting into what I think Phil and I are, are getting very close to terming the Ted Lasso Squid Game problem, which is which is although we are pitching be, our own version of Ted Lasso meets Squid Game. Are, we are <laughs> <laughs> actually come to think of it, yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. But, but, which which is three weeks ago or a month ago. All we were hearing from development executives and producers was everyone wants their Ted Lasso. Yep. Today, all you're hearing is everyone wants their, their squid, squid game. game, which, you know, all anyone should take from that is no one knows anything. Everybody's stupid. And all you can do is really good work, right? Yes. All, the best you can do is really good work. And uh, what Ted Lasso and Squid Game have in common is they're both really good work, right? So mm-hmm. what I would to, to, the I think the Candyman thing is a really interesting kind of uh, encapsulation of what's gone on because Candyman, the original, is explicitly about race without having a fucking puppet sequence telling you about how it's about race. But it's explicitly about race and it's explicitly about about white supremacy and about oppression. And, and it, it couldn't be more obvious, but. But I think the the issue it would have in 2021 is, and frankly, this is how I feel in general, is we're all too either stupid or or uh, more likely argumentative that we just are here to find things that are wrong with it, and we just to start a fight because the, the I, I understand why 
modern day Candyman felt like it had to hold your hand a little bit because they never wanted to be accused of ignoring it. But you're—it's impossible. It's impossible to ignore it with that premise and that and 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 that villain. Well, and you know what? I I want to say you saying that reminds me. There's one other thing that Ted Lasso and Squid Game have in common, and it's a reason why Elm Street would have a problem. No, there's a reason. I, I, I no, I know. So the last time I was on the show, mm-hmm. uh, which hasn't come out yet, but Phil and I talked about Futurama. Futurama. And it was the day the Emmy nominations came out, and I'm not Indeed. sure how much of that stays in because it just got contentious. But it's, one of the things, not a lot of it's it gonna did. St- <laughs> it's gonna kick yeah. <laughs> Nor should it. Most of it's not relevant. <laughs> Some of it, I was just like, uh, this is just this is a bad look for both of us. Yeah. Can um, I have the audio? But sure. <laughs> Send me the audio. Uh, but but one of the things that came up was I had not watched Ted Lasso yet. Mm-hmm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Because I was still in that mindset of like, it's a fucking Apple TV show. And I think that the thing that Ted Lasso had going for it and Squid Game had going for it is no one gave a shit about Ted Lasso until people started watching it and liking it. True, true. And no one gave a shit about Squid Game until people started watching it and liking it, which means because no one was paying attention, anybody that would have been writing pieces about what could be wrong with this thing didn't care about an Apple TV show based on a commercial, and nobody was paying attention to the South Korean drama, dystopian drama that was getting brought to Netflix. So neither of them could be discoursed to death beforehand. And I don't mean this in any kind of like annoying Fox News PC brigade thing. I just mean we all, as people who love media, spend too much time speculating on things from trailers and still images. And by the time the thing actually comes out, we're either mad about something that it didn't do or we're mad that it didn't do something we wanted it to. A new nightmare on Elm Street will forever, whatever it is, is going to be hamstrung by all of the expectations for what a Nightmare on Elm Street is supposed to be. The same way I'm watching people talk about Halloween Kills and be like, I mean, that's not what a Halloween movie is supposed to be. And it's like, you guys accept a movie where people wear masks that turn them evil. You guys accept yeah, a movie. I mean, I, 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 don't disagree. Curse. I don't disagree with you, but I'll also say that I do think people can be turned around very quickly. Like, th- th- if there's one thing to be taken away from the internet or from any of this sort of, you know, film Twitter, what have you, is that these people don't stand for anything. They'll flip in five seconds if they like it or if it, if it, if it actually just, speaks to them. People are just really, miserable I mean, fucking jerk-offs that are just trying to make everyone as miserable right. as they are. And right. I, I, I think another big thing about an Elm Street movie that's kind of going to be hard for it is that it, it is a franchise that does need a budget. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. Um, 
You know, like these Halloween movies are like twenty million, but or maybe less. Like I know, I think the first one was like fifteen million. I think this one might right. be like twenty twenty five. Like Elm Street, you're gonna need as much as people get crazy about CGI. You're gonna need CGI. You're gonna need yeah. like, or if you get a filmmaker with enough juice, they'll they'll build sets. But you're gonna have yeah. to make up Freddy with all that with his prosthetics. You're gonna have to build a lot of visual elements. You can't just run and gun on an iPhone in fucking yeah. Louisiana. You know, it's it's gonna be hard for a studio. I mean, which is why it's fucking crazy that David Gordon Green and Blumhouse just fucking ripped Universal off for $300 million to make three Exorcist movies, a franchise that has literally not been successful since the first one. Yeah, um, and no one cares either. No one cares. Uh, I love all the Exorcist things except for two. It's actually got a good batting average, but nobody fucking watches them when they come out. So uh, good job, Universal. Good job, David. I, I, Get your money. I, I agree with you 100% yeah. on your, your theory on Nightmare on a production level. It's the reason why I think I was as drawn and enjoyed this franchise as much as I did because I did, uh, as I said, I liked all the fantasy. I loved all the production value of it. And if you did that today, it would get expensive. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just look at Freddy. I look at the rules. I look at the the ability to be able to get fully surreal and weird with it in a way that none of these other properties really can i think that's exciting but i agree it could yeah be well that's a, that, that I, I think that's almost exactly where like i get off with this franchise yeah which yeah. is if freddie took manhattan it would be a dream yeah. and that it would be my dream it, well <laughs> yeah but it would be it would be a dream it would be over yeah. whereas jason taking manhattan is that franchise like becoming its fully formed nutbag self. And th- that's what I love about that. And I also like, you know, I, I, it's weird because I always want Michael to go back to Haddonfield, right? Yeah. Like when yeah. he's not, it feels wrong to me. Like that guy is a suburb stalker. <laughs> Whereas I want Jason to go to space and to go to Manhattan <laughs> and to go all over the world because he is this like he is this, you know, almost like embodiment of of evil that has existed forever and ever, almost this accidental life form that has just been imbued with something. So it's Do we ever see it, Jason's face? Yeah. Every well, movie. kind of. Every yeah. The, okay. Every movie, it's a big like. Look at the makeup work we did. Look, how, look like, how hideous he is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at the maggots crawling out of his face. Oh, now he looks like a monster mole man with his, you know, split in half mm. face. That's like a big money shot in the third act. Every movie. Maggots. Who doesn't love maggots? Jason. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, in terms of the dream child, just for you know mm-hmm. a quick second on this yeah. episode about the dream child. Um, <laughs> so I. I for 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 you know the plot of it really is that I guess Amanda sort of gets pregnant. We don't really know how, but she gets pregnant with with we, this I child. Mean, we know how. Well, he yeah, sorry, yeah. he gets her yeah. pregnant, but then Freddie well, essentially well, hijacks the, the the fetus. 
can, can I uses also say it. it's, I can, yeah. it's the, the opening of this movie to me with the close-up of body sex scene yes. during the mm-hmm. credits mm-hmm. is such a, an insane opening to me I coming love off it. of yes. 4 because yes. 4 is like, here's your virginal cat main yeah. character becoming a superhero and then 5 is like, look at her getting fucking, fucking. railed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, it's Tom, it's Tom. like a Tony it was, Scott opening. It was, it's great. Tom, it, was. it was beautiful gonna, shot. I loved it. Tom, I'm going to ask you not to be so crass. Can I discuss the, the beginning of the film real quick? Oh, Mike's sure. got more extra homework. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Look at him. Is this, the one? This is, is this the novelization? You bet it is. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's four and five in I one paid, book? I paid money for it, so I have to get use out of it. Okay, cool. Then I can write this off on my taxes. Are you going to read to us the, the opening? Chapter one, they were making love in Dan's bedroom, and Alice was reaching her peak, dragging her nails over Dan's back hard enough to leave thin red tracks. She cried out and arched her back as Dan's movements became more intense and he breathed her name into her ear before he too cried out and they clutched one another desperately, kissing as if it were their last moment together. I got to stop. For our listeners' sake, I'm going to stop you right there. I I am currently... Because I... (laughs) Because... It's not not usually that quick. Because I can't... Because I can't read. Yeah, reading's hard for me. Reading stuff. I've decided to start listening to the corrections uh, book on tape. <laughs> Who have reads you guys, it? Uh, some you know. old man. <laughs> uh, have you guys? Have you guys read Mike? the corrections? Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. Do you remember the scene or the or the passage where they talk about Chip's screenplay and all the times he mentions the the child's or the young woman's breasts? This old man over and over again, her supple breast. Page 14, her supple white breast. Page 16, her adolescent milky white breast. And it's, I'm telling you, there must be 80 readings of this. So it is one of those situations. Was there, here's a question for you. Was there more sex? Did you feel as though the sex in Barista versus the sex scenes in Correction? Did you listen to my app? I haven't listened to it yet, but I want to listen the, to it. It's, my it's like entire my episode yeah. with Becky is about yeah. what a, uh, what a, a, a sex wimp I am, <laughs> how, how afraid I am of sex. And he's probably had a child whip. since we started this episode. I, 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 I'm, I'm batting, I'm batting four for three, Tom. My slugging is out of control. Okay, so I, <laughs> I, and by by you're uh, DJ Lemayhew. I'm Joey Gallo. My <laughs> my my. <laughs> I'm I'm striking out a lot, but when I fucking hit it, I'm fucking hitting home runs, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 Antonio Cromartie. Really, I like I can't even remember their names anymore. But uh, but my whole like first half hour with Becky is about how uncomfortable I am writing about sex in movies sure. and how I think that that should be farmed out to like, that's what an intimacy coordinator should be. Right. Like you All should right. be like, you know how in like <laughs> Phil you've written on, on, yeah. uh, not really, but you've, you know, about medical shows, you know, when they write, uh, well, I mean, yeah, when they write, yes. um, yes, we had medical what the jargon. Fuck was I watching with legal, legal. Okay. All right. Where, where oh, legal, yeah. legal was, uh, made. Yes, made exactly. So you're watching made, and they're going legal, 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 legal instead of uh, saying the legal stuff. That's what they actually write into scripts. They actually write into scripts. Like if you're medical, if you're medical, writing medical, 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 you have some yeah. pro come in and write the actual medical shit. Legal, 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 legal. You have some pro come in. Yeah, you what you do? Fire, 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 fire. Okay. Uh, and also medical, medical because they're <laughs> yeah, medical, okay. medical, okay. Fire, you, fire. I, you, you, 
right. You think you feel I would do sex, sex, sex. sex. You feel uncomfortable listening to an audio tape of corrections? Motherfucker, listen to someone made an audio tape for it. Someone had to oh. vocalize the 12-year-old gangbang in a sewer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. wait, to yeah. clarify, Kenny, you're, you're saying you don't you, you think there should be somebody else brought in to write the sex scenes yes. in your Kenny space. wants to farm certainly, out the sex, sex, sex. Certainly sex. to block the sex scenes. Like, I, and, and there is, but like, I would just write in my scripts, they have sex, it is good or bad. <laughs> and then I would have someone who has had a lot more sex than me Mm-hmm. With more partners, I mean. Uh, <laughs> come and figure it out. Fun fact, I did that for one of Tom's horror films our senior year of college. You became, you were the sex guy? So it was a thing where Tom uh, my, had written... See, oh here's my. the thing, Tom. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm telling... My, my shit's a bit. You actually did this? My shit's <laughs> no, a so, bit. No, no. He, he took it upon himself to do it. Because so Tom as I'm sure you guys have known with me, I don't do work. I don't yeah. do extra work. <laughs> I, sh- I shoot it out, and I'm just like, I'm done. So he's just like, ooh, can I make the sex scene oh, yeah. And I said, that was, sure, yeah, That whatever. must be great for your partners. Well, that was... <laughs> so what happened was, just for clarity... For Claire, like it was one of those cases where it was film school, and you guys—I don't know how your film school experiences were, but like in ours, and you got, got put in groups, and like one person was the writer, one person was the director, so on and so forth. Right? The guy who was the writer in Tom's group didn't want to do anything. Tom wrote like a quick script for a couple pages, but then he asked me, like, could I do a pass on it, just like some dialogue stuff or whatever? And he had written this part where uh, basically, like, guy walks up to girl in bar, they're flirting, but you don't hear anything. They go upstairs, and that's it. And I kind of went, what if we flesh this out a bit? And Tom said, do whatever you want. And I wasn't getting graded on it. I wasn't in the group. So I said, let's go to town and, and, and wrote this whole thing up and down. So that is actually a thing, Kenny, that can be done. I, you, you, you could be my sex person. I, hmm. Listen, I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I'll check my non-compete, Ooh, but as hot. long as it's clearable. <laughs> you can be my sex person. Yeah. Is how Kenny asks people. Out. I, I I think you would do a I'm good for, job. Is, I'm is pretty my sure guess. that's the audition process for Miramax movies. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so I, I do want to ask you, you guys some, sex person, I think some uh, some dream child questions uh, in terms of um, what did you think of the asylum stuff? What did you think of the the the? I would I can only assume that the scale of the dream child stroller changes pretty considerably from mm-hmm. scene to scene. Um, were you, uh, were you guys a fan of the, of the effects? Were you a fan of the production? Did you, there's some nice matte paintings of of like the the asylum and shit. The the effects are great. You know, those special effects guys in the eighties, this was like the peak of that time where they were just going full on, uh, you know, uh, you know, Hopkins shoots it. Well, I mean, like the look of it's great. Um, I felt I mean, I think the kill scenes pretty much fucking suck. I think there's no weight to them. They kind of just happen, and you're like, well, he, this one is dead now. Someone I didn't really give a shit about. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, look, it looks good. I mean, you know, they did some good work. Uh, Freddy's makeup is kind of shitty, though. Yeah. Uh, this is not yeah. the worst he's looked. He looks worse in six because that was clearly we can only get Robert in the makeup chair for like an hour. Make it as simple as possible. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, sure, it looks sure. good. I, I I'll, I'll say to to all. I mean, a couple things. One, the kills, like Tom's saying, I was I wasn't bothered by the kills until I read the novelization, where you get a hint of what they were originally supposed to be. 
Right. Because the MPAA, ha- <clears throat> oh goodness gracious, MPAA hamstrung the shit out of him. Yeah. So the comic book guy's death with Super Freddy, one of the worst things they've committed to this franchise, wasn't supposed to be that. Is bad. Yeah. <clears throat> but it wasn't supposed to be that. But instead, he no, woke, well, he went into a dream, saw a comic book that said Freddy's Bloody Nightmares or something like that, which was a bit of an in-joke to the fact that Marvel had a Freddy the Krueger comic series that they canceled after two issues because of parent complaints. He goes into the comic book, and you know how we see it for a second in the movie that like take on me style animation. Yeah, thing? that was supposed to be a sequence. It was supposed oh, okay. to be him inside the comic book, Freddy as comic book Freddy, killing him, which would have looked better. The stuff with the model, the book, the novelization. Apparently, the original script made a bigger deal out of like instead of it just being. Oh yeah, the model's parents are on her case, but also she's kind of hooking up with this comic book guy and nobody really cares. They were building up that relationship a lot slower. Some mm-hmm. of that was cliche for sure. I don't need to see another movie do the, oh, you drew sketches of me. This is nice. Can I keep one? But at least it was something. And even her death was much more viscerally upsetting about her wasting away and shit like that. Well, but- that's the thing that I, I kind of, I did wish that they went farther with the sort of anorexia component because mm-hmm. it's, it's turned into like, uh, it almost feels like um, uh, Monty Python and Meaning of Life when mm-hmm. she's they, eating they all that, that stuff. They bring that up and never sleep again. Yeah, uh, like that's... It, it, like, in, it, well, because in, in, in the original version they shot, it's not that he just keeps shoving food into her mouth. As she expands, he rips her stomach open and starts feeding herself to her. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good shit. And that's good shit. That's the, thing. that's the thing with Dream Child. Like, so much stuff could cut out. I'll say the... the the Asylum stuff, I have never... And I like this franchise. I like this franchise more than Tom. Um, and even so, I have never loved the 100 Maniacs origin of Freddy. Okay. I've never loved that. Like, uh, you know, to me, the idea of just a dude got burned alive and came back, I didn't need that. I I also think it's a weird thing. I, I think that, especially now in the way that we talk about how we depict sexual assault in media, mm-hmm. when that happens in the movie, I like you kind of go like, Oh, we're doing that. But then at the same time, like, you have to wrestle in your brain. You're like, yeah, but I've been cool with so much murder. Like, it's a weird thing that you have to do. No, because what I mean is, like... I know what you mean. You know, it happens with the main action, and you you do feel like, oh, can you be doing this? Like, well, I guess you're doing a lot. Like, this is meant to be upsetting. Um, I've never loved that origin thing. It always just feels a little much. I appreciate kind of it's it's pivot into the religiosity of it i think that when freddie pops up in the in the church and yells it's a boy in front of that stained glass uh. it works for me but for the same reason that even though the movie sucks when pinhead pops up in hellraiser 3 in the church i dig it i think I, uh, if, if you were raised catholic you either look at a church as a nice place or you go this whole thing is austere and creepy these stained glass windows are really uncomfortable and if you think that any horror that involves a church is going to freak you out a little bit. That's so interesting because I, uh, you know, I definitely clocked watching these movies and some of the movies we've done in 99, Ninth Gate, Stigmata. Uh, end of Days. End of Days to some extent. Uh, whenever a horror movie takes a detour into a church, my brain shuts off yeah. because I don't have that thing that you have 
uh, I, I find them neither creepy nor uh, inspiring. I find them mind-numbingly boring. And uh, I don't want Freddie in a church. I just it, – it's it, – like that's not I, I, the only thing that because I, I, I did I tried to connect it to why is Freddy why is this even here is this is this wrapped in the mythology the only thing I think of is you know five six grab a crucifix like that there is something born from the beginning well, of it that I mean, he had yeah but but it's that's not who he is to me well in it's, fact it's, all, it's it's all that dream warrior shit I mean. Right. Uh, Dream Warriors, you know, Darabont and Russell, they, 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 they necessarily had to build up a mythology. And so they did this 100 Maniacs thing and sort of there's a Catholic element to it, but they yeah. never go to a church. They never really dive that deeply into it. It's just kind of this like, yeah, you know, here, here's the thing and here's how you'll beat them. You can just bury, you know, you got to bury his bury bones and, you know, whatever. Uh, four and Getty, five. Various bones. Like Very, you know, obviously bones. various bones. You know, I mean, yeah. who, who, who amongst us hasn't? Everybody knows um, the soul is in the bone marrow. But well, yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> but it's this thing of like four and five having to build upon dream warriors and really double down on what Darabont and Russell did. And four and five are so trying to be more dream warriors yeah. than the original. Yeah. And none of these guys are Darabont and Russell and they're, they're getting so lost in the mythology that totally agree. All, all, yeah. all of the, cause if you think about dream childs, three people, die, four people die in the whole movie because they're spending so much time in the second half of the movie going, Oh, we got to, you know, find Amanda Kruger buried in a wall right. somewhere. And you know, there's this kid, you know, her kids now like kind of a ghost that's, you know, already just like it does. Hey, Fre- I'm Freddie's friend, and then he you to know, your point on Freddie and kills him. I do feel like the the actual the titular dream child is something that needs explaining. Yes. Where in the previous films, you don't really have that component, right? Where you're just like, it's Freddie. He's coming for these kids. This added wrinkle of the dream child essentially being kind of about his rebirth, I guess, to some degree or another, it's kind of muddy and it's kind of unclear. Yeah, which can which you is another, I, I don't know who the dream child is. It's, I, it's, uh, it's I, I really don't. I mean, I, no, I, no. I mean, I'm not, I'm I not sure the, I do either, but the dream child is the unborn child through which F- Freddie is able to kind of re-enter Allison's uh, dream yeah. psyche because she yeah. is the dream master. Um, and she's like defeated him. Yep. And I think that's pretty clever. I think that, um, what's the actress's name? Uh, oh, Lisa, Lisa, Wilcox. Uh, Lisa, yeah, Lisa Wilcox. Wilcox. I don't think she's up, up for the task to be honest, but, no. um, I, I, I just think that, that, that Tom said it perfectly. I think they dream warriors is so awesome. And so s- such a great, elaboration and build on one great cast but i knew phil i knew you'd love dream warriors immediately because this is the stuff you've been messing with for the last 15 years yeah you know shared shared dreams and dream logic Mm -hmm. and dreams entering your real life and and Mm -hmm. and people and and i i know you've also messed around things in you know in in mental health facilities and this idea of like these people being there under false pretenses and no one's believing them. It all really works so well. It works incredibly well. And then the 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 take 
away from that seemed to be that they really uh, liked kind of the, the, the dream aspects of it, which yeah. is the part that, that meant yeah. nothing to me. Like the, yeah. you see, so I mean, I think four, I think four is pretty cool. And I think four is some great kills. Four has some but, good stuff in it. It's better than like, five, at least. Like I like four. I like the, uh, I like the waterbed kill so much. I think that's yeah. so much fun. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it, I'll say this too, for what it's worth. Like I watched all of these films in a relatively compressed time period. I think Kenny, you did as well. I watched them for the first time this way. So they really are kind of bleeding into each other in a lot of ways, especially those, the first six where it's just sort of three through six is very much playing in a very similar sandbox. I feel like, um, so I, I'm trying to remember like what actually happens in four um, versus what happens in in three. So like there's just I'm, I'm just well, four still has the Patricia Arquette character, but she's remember? been recast. But she's being recast, recast as Lisa Wilcox. With two, yes. no, 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 Lisa no, no, Wilcox no, no. is a new character. It's so instead Chris, of Arquette, it's now Tuesday, Tuesday, something. not Tuesday Weld. Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night. I'm looking Thank it you. up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Tuesday night. Yeah, so the three characters who survived Warriors die. It's basically first half of the movie is like the epilogue to Dream Warriors. And then the second half is, well, uh, I guess we got to build a new character set now. And uh, here's also its own problems. And Dream Masters, I think Dream Masters has some awesome kills. I think like they they, they have the new friends in that. They have the the girl who loves bodybuilding. That's a great kill. They have the nerd. That's a great kill. Yeah, I'm looking at the cast right now. I think four is kind of just like, fun and i think freddy's yeah. fun in that and i think five is to your point tom no one dies there's no one left i love the girl from summer school obviously who doesn't die right. uh and it, it the whole the whole thing kind of feels like th- five is the to me the most um the, the most together. inessential <laughs> of the entire run uh mm. And, yeah. and you know the third of kind of an, uh, a trilogy that has diminishing returns each time, and then six comes in like a house of fire. <laughs> <laughs> so I I want to okay. throw this out there. Okay, what do you guys, I think you guys. I didn't think of this until you guys brought it up, and you're talking about it now. Yeah. I think Dream Warriors put them in a really bad position. I think it's a great movie. Like how to follow it up? You mean? Well, because Story-wise. here's the thing with something like Jason, right? Yeah. Michael Myers, you basically tell us, is unkillable at the end of the first movie, right? He goes out the window, he's on the ground, and he's gone. He's unkillable. Okay. Jason is is unkillable. He's, he's Start, pretty much Starts unkillable. Yeah. <laughs> now, with Freddy, in the first movie, you tell us he can be defeated by saying, I don't believe in you. And he's gone. Right. Puts you in a tough position for sequels because you've told your audience, I yeah. just, just say, go away. He's gone. Dream Warriors, what makes Dream Warriors interesting is these kids are so susceptible, right? They're in this place. They're all being stuck already. And it's about figuring out, Jesus, how do we defeat this guy? <clears throat> yep. Then at the end of it, they figure out how to defeat him. They figure out they can use their magic and their X-Men dream powers and, and defeat him. And it rules. And it rules as a movie. But then what you have done is you have now told the audience this is how you defeat him. You just use your imagination and your dream and you defeat him. 
how are you now going to get the audience invested in a sequel with i mean if you have new characters that's fine but i'm saying with like four and five they basically were in a position where they're like well good now we've figured out there's magic powers that can defeat him i guess we have to bring this dream master shit into it i guess we have to do all that and it puts you in a position where like you lose some of the stakes because we as the audience know how to defeat him. Am I well, wrong? I feel like it's... I don't disagree. I would also say, too, that there's a logistical issue here, and it's 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 what Tom referred to earlier. This idea that, like, we're shooting this movie here, we're releasing this movie here, and we don't really give a shit what comes out on the other side of it, which is sort of ironic, because 4 is really successful. So I guess the impression they get is, we got to get something out there fast in order to hit while the I iron's I think that hot. was a thing then. And I think right. there that wasn't was, an I mean, expectation that you wanted, that, that you expected a new one of these almost every year. I mean, Halloween 5 had the same problem this year as well. You know, hot off the heels of Halloween 4, they rushed Halloween 5 out. Jason was already on a one-a-year schedule to begin with. So, I mean, Jason Takes Manhattan was just, you know, a happy accident that it was so fantastic. Um, <laughs> I think... <laughs> Isn't it crazy uh, well, no. to think of a time though where like you had a new horror franchise installment every year? Well, so you I had did three. It. You had three so did, yeah. iconic franchises going right. one a year, basically. And that the there Purge was... basically did it too. I mean, they this this is this, this does make sense yeah. to some extent, and hopefully, I because I agree. I think I think Escape Room's great. I think the second one's a lot better than the first, also, but. Uh, I think, and I think they can keep doing those for fun too. I think I, 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 there's something I want to bring up with you guys, and I don't mean this. I'm not trying to be provocative or start a fight. Oh God. Uh, oh boy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were just talking, Mike, about how three uh, box them into a corner, and every we we've we've been talking about this franchise. And we have not mentioned two at all, except when I made the joke about how great it is when she kisses Freddie at the end. Now, two is wrapped up in all of this, you know, allegory about being closeted and all that stuff. But what I want to talk about is Freddie coming into the real world and being a menace. Now, I know that that was Wes Craven's bet noir, where he's like, you just ruined the series. I'm positing what if they didn't. I'm positing <laughs> what if that was kind of the secret sauce to extend the life of this series. Um, but go I, ahead. You don't, don't want so. that. You don't no, want you that. Don't. No, because I mean, really, at the why? Like at the end of the day, why would Freddie want to come back? He's got the. I don't he's know. got the. He's got the sweetest gig in the world. He's not like Michael or Fred or Jason, where he's like got to deal with oh, the fucking cops here. Let me fold this guy in half. Let me but deal this with this. Is- you know, Jason. Freddie's literally just. I'm going to torture the shit out of kids, make their lives miserable until I finally turn them into motorcycles. Uh, like he, if he so, comes into the real world, I mean, he's to, he's got no power. Build on, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I will also say, I will also say, and I'm going to bring up a franchise that I love um, that mostly isn't good, uh, and I will own this up front. Uh, I love the Hellraiser franchise. I have always found the Hellraiser premise, Mr. Pinhead's really franchise. Yes, because well, because that's the key thing is that in the first and second Hellraiser, it's not Pinhead's franchise, right? Mm -hmm. Pinhead is not actually the villain in this 
series. The whole idea of the do, are, how familiar are you guys with Hellraiser? I've seen the first none. I've never okay. seen any of them. So the whole <laughs> premise of Pinhead and the other Cenobites, the guys you see in all the posters, uh-huh. is that there is they are essentially uh, angels of pain in a way, right? Uh-huh. That they they are so far down the rabbit hole of this BDSM kind of like pain for pleasure thing mm-hmm. that people who want to experience the ultimate pain uh, open this puzzle box and summon them. So their whole vibe for the first two movies is like somebody opens the puzzle box, a bad dude opens the puzzle and they show up and they're like, somebody called us for weird kinky hook stuff. So we're going to do it because you <laughs> called us. No, but like mm-hmm. truly like it's that's the kind of thing. And it is kind of like, you know, the thing about like when Candyman shows up and you say his name or Beetlejuice where it's like, you said it. Somebody yeah. asked me to come here. And then with and everybody who watched those two movies who loved Hellraiser were like, yeah, but oh, my God. Pinhead should get like even more evil. Pinhead should come into the real world. Pinhead should want to take over. And then they do it in three. Uh, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Uh It's like Pinhead no longer is just the stoic like guardian of like, (laughs) uh, yeah, I'm going to make you suffer because that's what you want. Instead, Uh he now shows up and he's like, ah, I'm, I'm going to take over. And as soon as that happens, you go, oh, everything unique about this world is gone. The thing that makes Hellraiser so interesting to those of us that like it, is it goes, yeah, they're summoned. They are. They don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're coming on an invite. The thing about Freddy that makes him so interesting is the way that he haunts dreams, is the fact that you can't fall asleep. The thing that we like about horror franchises, and especially those of us who like writing and care about film, is that your franchise is going to establish rules. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what separates all of the major slasher franchises you know, the Michael, the Freddy, even the Jason, even the Chucky and, and Scream and all of them, they establish rules and then they mm-hmm. go, you're coming back to see what we can do within the frame that we've established. You're coming back to nightmare movies because we know it's going to be dreams. We know Freddy's going to start dreams. What can we do with that? If you right. take that away, then what you have done, unless you're creating a premise where Freddy has the same magic in the real world, which... Then you take out the stakes of falling asleep, which is so compelling. Or he's just a guy with knives on his fingers, in which case I can get that in a million one slashes. So I don't know if you want to take those rules off because when Hellraiser did it, suddenly they just became weird detective thrillers with a guy with nails in his face. And okay, at the end, at the right. end of the first one, the whole hook is we got to get this guy out of the dream so we can defeat him. And then in the second one, his whole plan is... I'm going to get out of the dream yeah, world sure. and do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. The second one is bad. But anyway, uh, terrible, uh, terrible fucking movie. Okay. It's interesting. It's interesting to watch. It's very interesting to watch. Love watching Clue Gulliger fight a fucking bird on a wire. <laughs> it's <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is the most fun of the not good movies. I will watch okay. it more than I watch movies that I think in that franchise that yes, I think are just Kenny? bad. I don't Kenny. think that it's that bad, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. What I was presenting to you, haters, was <laughs> not necessarily... Don't hate the play, I hate the game. Dude. Doing it, doing it 
like Nightmare 2 or doing it like you so eloquently evoked in Hellraiser 3. The question isn't how, why wouldn't work? Why wouldn't it work? The question is, could it work? And without question to me, there are ways for it to work. Like I found, I, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm showing my ass a little bit. I found the premise of Nightmare 2 to be compelling. I, I like the idea in theory that Freddy views the dream world as a prison uh-huh. and he wants to get out of it. And I, I, and I believe that to some extent, like I, I hear you saying, like, I have all this power in the dream world. Why would I want to leave? Well, at some point, you know, it might not be that much fun anymore. He might want to take out a new challenge. Now I'm not saying I have the answer, but I am trying to say the, to your point about rules, I love rules and I love rules for all the reasons you said. And I also love rules because they uh, they, they put a, a line in the sand and they say, don't cross this line under any circumstances. And then you cross the line. And that's wow. the thing. Like The truly scary thing to me is I'm doing everything right. I'm not going to bed. I'm drinking caffeine and doing cocaine and staying awake. And I figured out how to be Freddy in the dream. And I, and, and, and I don't believe him and all this stuff. Like I have watched the horror movies and now he is fucking sitting on my toilet oh no and then there's the inception then there's the inception question am i still in a dream so i think it's fun to be here so i don't i I, listen i don't want freddy sitting on my toilet either number one who knows what that guy's eating in the other world terrifying he's gonna put the he's gonna put my pipes to the limit to the limit i don't want that uh i don't think it works getting taken freddy out of the real i because i think the beauty of freddy's uh, becoming a dream god, basically, is that he can now drop all the pretense he had as a human, having to pretend to be a normal human being. I work a job. I'm like, I put up the front that I'm a nice guy. He doesn't have to do it anymore. He's elementally what he's always wanted to be. I chase kids and I fucking kill them. That's it. You bring them. A- I mean, it's 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 it strips all the humanity out. He's a monster in the real world, but he has to pretend to be a human. He doesn't have to pretend anymore. So you take that element away. Why is he? Why would he want to come back to the real world? It just that's, kind of that's breaks. Your, that's your job as the writer. Well, but I think there's I also. <laughs> yeah. I, just don't I think, think that the other thing is bounce off what Tom's saying. There's also the subtext that, to me, is what Freddie represents. Um, which is now look, I'm no fan of the decade, the 1980s, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but, okay. uh, you know, but one of the things that I look at that, that, that Elm street really taps into for me about the eighties and what it represents is that Freddie becoming the dream God isn't just a, a you know, a device to get another. It also represents kind of what we learned about the eighties, which is, you you parents went to such extremes and did a million and one things that you thought made your kids safer and that you thought would be good for your kids. You went to such extremes out of the, the conservative panic, the moral panic, the satanic panic. And in fact, you made things worse. Like you did all of these things and you in fact made things so much worse. I think a lot about 
and this is going to sound weird at, at left. Uh, the did I any of you guys watch the Action Park documentary they put on HBO Max? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. Chris Gethard has a great line in there talking about Action Park, but also talking about growing up in the eighties, mm-hmm. where he says, "You know, when we're talking to our friends, we we laugh about how fucked up it all was, but when uh-huh. we're with our therapists, it's just <laughs> fucked up." And I think about that, like, there's so much shit that, like, 80s babies or 80s kids talk about where you're like, Jesus. And the thing that makes Freddy so compelling to me and about him being the dream god is the fact that it's about that these parents went, good, we got rid of the bad thing. We, we put it under the rug. We, we right. set him on fire. We buried it. And that's it. And now everything's going to be fine. And, in fact, they damned their kids to die. In, in the most brutal ways and in a way that they can't even reach them. Freddy mm-hmm. is, even though he was a bad guy, he is also the, you know, the chickens coming home to roost for small town America, basically trying to uh, take matters into their own hands and, you know, get, get I mean, frontier justice on somebody. I mean, Wes has been, was very upfront about it throughout his entire life when the, since the, that movie came out was that the first movie was really him tackling the idea of divorce. And this is like a generation of kids, the first kind of generation that had to grow up with divorce and using that Freddy element as this dark element in this generation of like the boomers that there's something that they that they did in their generation that didn't happen in their other generation that has infected not just them, but their kids. So their kids are living this life kind of without their parents, you know, like in the first one, uh, Tina's mom's away. So she has her biker boyfriend come over to to have sex with him. Uh, Nancy's parents are either divorced or in the middle of a divorce. And her mother's a drunk and her father's kind of just not, really there for her like uh, uh bringing him into the real world essentially kenny you're wrong and i'm gonna have him, I'm, I'm gonna have to send you to kangaroo court for that one no no i i i hear everything you guys are saying but i also can't get over the fact that only two of these movies are really successful so we're riding for something now new nightmare notwithstanding uh we're riding for something that yeah. pr- that that i think has been shown to have a pretty 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 short shelf life um and i do think that we need the new thing or the next thing and i i wonder okay let's say he can't go into the real world uh even though I strongly disagree with you guys. Um, <laughs> what is the new thing? What is the let's do it? What is the 2021 uh, thing that reinvigorates this franchise? Um, in 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 a Halloween reboot or a Halloween Rob Zombie reboot kind of way that. Oh. It, does, it think, can be whatever you guys want. I, well, yeah. well, I think I think I think a lot of it's what we were talking about with the remake. They need to make text that uh, Freddy didn't do it, and that it's kind of that eighty satanic panic has festered and became a thing now. Which we're dealing. I mean, what's what's the MAGA shit other than 
white people trying to relive the glory days, but the glory days was just filled of poisonous hatred that has now gotten worse. I mean, MAGA is just Reaganism on fucking PCP. I think they just make Freddie Q. I mean, I I said the other day, I said the other day to Mike, (laughs) there's an element that I wish they did in one of these movies is that while Freddie is killing the kids, he's doing it in a way to make it look like the parents are killing their kids so that the parents go to jail suffering, knowing that the, the guy they killed killed their child and now they have to rot in jail for it. That's also an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. Well, there you go. I'm as good as an 80s (laughs) Canadian TV writer. Um, Here's the thing. I agree. Like, the thing about Nightmare that's tough, and Tom talks about the Peter Jackson script and so many things they tried to do. The difficult thing about the Nightmare franchise to not do Gordon Green is that because it's so expensive, like, look, I think if, and, and you guys just binged these series recently, but like, if I of you got called in and they said we need to do a new Nightmare on Elm Street what's your take I think the two of you could churn out at least three or four really interesting ideas that when they're talked about in a documentary somebody goes holy shit I wish we could have seen that I think even Tom and I who have never sold a script if they called us into a room we could pitch you know three or four or five like ideas that you would go holy shit that's super interesting Mm -hmm. I think that the challenge becomes once you're doing well that and once you're doing something that expensive with that much writing on it yeah does that get through i mean the the nightmare franchise is the most fertile ground of any of these slasher franchises because you have a million avenues to go yes you can send jason to any location but at the end of the day he's still a guy with a machete and unless you fill him with nano robots to turn him into half machine or you make him a satan worm he's going to be that the Halloween franchise, it took a while for them to figure it out when they realized, right, it's the tension between him and Laurie, or it's Michael's psychology. Elm Street, you've got a million avenues you can go because you've opened up the possibilities with this magic and this dream world. But we keep going back to the same kind of well, mostly because by the time it gets through all the executives and all the money people, and it gets through all of the complications of, well, I want to do this. Well, that's too expensive. Let's put him in a comic book. We can't do that. I want to build this practical set. We can't do that. By the time you get through all of that, are they going to let you take any kind well, of risks with this character? Here's the thing. And this is, this is interesting for our moment. Um, HBO Max has every one of these movies uh, currently streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, time except for Freddy vs. Jason. You said they did, or they they do. I don't think maybe they did. I, I wasn't looking for it. Maybe I think they, they do, but I'm My not 100. Okay, oh, I don't sorry, care about ahead. whether they have Freddy versus Jason. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. they they, they, they are putting all. this yeah. out there. They put it on the front page uh, for a while, and I bet it's on the front page for October. Um, I have absolutely no doubt that uh, Warner Media is actively hearing Nightmare on Elm Street takes for sure um they for sure. today a, a year ago a year from now mm-hmm. when you have a character who's that iconic they need to bring him back out specifically mm-hmm. to show the world we still have him and we can still make money with him well, you know, so so they to to your point i think that now is the time more than any other time in history that they'd be willing to take a risk with this character 
solely because they want to show that he exists, he's still profitable, and like kind of most importantly, that he's nimble, right? That you can continue to use him literally in and ways. figuratively. Yeah, yeah. So well, Freddie's Freddie's got some moves. Um, so I mean, I don't. We, I feel like wrong. we are days away from Kruger. With like a you know the backstory the Wonka version of Freddy Krueger uh, is definitely yeah. well all right so here's here's a big element for why I also think why I also think there might be issues with we haven't heard anything yet I think Robert Englund is such a big shadow over this and the reception to Jackie Earl Haley was so negative tepid <laughs> that I think even studios for as feckless and numbers oriented as they are aren't dumb enough to realize that yeah we're gonna have a big mountain to climb because freddie is so personality based how do we we failed miserably once how do we get over that but the failure of jackie earl haley is that he's not funny right like that he's that he doesn't have much charisma in that way i think there's any number of actors out there that could fill Ooh, you know uh, who should Edwin's, do a Nightmare on Elm Street? Mm. James Gunn. Would watch. Of course. All right, so there's there's another example of Warner's recently doing this incredibly mm-hmm. successfully, and that's It. And yeah. you would have looked at the Tim Curry version of It and said, no, that's it. We're done. Maybe never. I mean, not not the movies, but the character, the characterization. Yeah, we ne- never will do that again. And I've seen it a lot because it is a horror movie that Rollins loves, and I love the first part. And uh, Bill Skarsgård is amazing. Your son's watching that 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 movie. I know, I know. No, no I'm just thinking of your seven year old son. He just he just he's nine. He just did an hour long pretend podcast with his thirteen year old cousin on it. He's like, I've seen it so many times. <laughs> pretend um, podcast. You like what we're doing right now. Uh, he, <laughs> no he, one's gonna listen to this. Uh, no, no. So, so I, I don't think that that the the <laughs> I don't think they would be dissuaded by the Robert England part. I think they can find somebody. Uh, I think James Gunn would kick ass. I think it's a really yeah, good you know, call. But, but you know what? Going to what Mike said about the executives thing, Carrie Fukunaga was gonna do it, but because of, he was so vision oriented, so like story first that the studio got spooked he basically left because they wouldn't let him make the movie he wanted uh andy machete inherited that first movie Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we saw what his second movie was second movie (laughs) and the second movie's uh, off well the thing the the, the, the thing with stephen king is uh you better come with a bit you better come with a vision that is not taking that mo- take, taking the stuff from the page. Because Basically, it's, you oh, need to be Mike it's Flanagan. Always, it's always weird on the page what he does. It's never it's it, it never strikes me right visually. Yes, exactly. Well, um, yeah, that's and why the you second need to one's be awful. Mike Flanagan. <laughs> the second one's awful, but I I got to think that they want to do this now. Like I mean, I you know look, this is the bad take, but like I wouldn't be I. I I think it's almost too obvious. I don't mean this in a bad way. Like, like the they the they should do it version is Freddie didn't do it, and I think you almost do the Fast and the Furious Nine version, where you're showing something in modern day and you're showing something you're you're doing flashbacks to when Freddie was first murdered, um, and I think that could work, but it wouldn't be that fun. No, can it I? Wouldn't. 
Can I throw something else totally. out there? And and uh, with regards to you mentioned, now would be the time to do an Elm Street. I'm praying it's not because I'm praying that before they decide to do a new Elm Street, we have moved on from everybody trying to do Jordan Peele. <laughs> because right now, I think one of the problems we have with with horror today, or a lot of horror today, is when you look at what made horror movies great in the in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, even somewhat 90s, especially 60s, 70s, and 80s, they these are movies that are about something, and these are movies that explore theme, mm-hmm. without a doubt. But when you talk to the people that made them, they George Romero will tell you outright, and he said in many interviews, I didn't sit down to make a movie about Vietnam. I didn't sit out to make a movie about race relations. I thought about what scared me. I came up with the zombie movie, and then the themes were in the air. Right, a million percent, dude. And they're and and it's amazing. And the stuff that's in Halloween, and the stuff that's in Elm Street, <laughs> the stuff we all love that's in Omen and Exorcist, that stuff that was in the air. The problem now is that, you know, yes, we had The Witch, we had other elevated horror films, but it really feels like Get Out was a was a lightning rod moment, and not just because it got totally. Oscar nominations, but because everybody looked at that and went, "Oh my God, this is about something. This is so compelling. This is so interesting." But Jordan Peele is a dyed-in-the-wool horror guy, and he admitted that, and he wanted to make something scary. And I think that's why people had problems with, you know, understanding us the first time around because it's less uh, obvious about what it's discussing. My problem with a lot of horror now is that the people who are making it start from a place of, what do I want to say? You should never do right? that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, and you I don't, should I, never do that. I, I well, totally yeah. agree with you. Like, I went to go see, and I liked it, um, to some degree, but I went to go see The Night House. And the problem with The Night House and the problem with so many movies, I know people had this problem with the Black Christmas remake and a number of things, and some people had that problem with Candyman. The problem with The Night House is that for the first three quarters of the movie, it's a really interesting haunting movie. It's about like, a, you know, whatever it is, a haunted house, however you want to feel. And then the last 15 minutes decide to go very directly and tell you, this is about grief. This is about grief. I represent your grief. You need to learn to move on. And it's clear that that started from somebody going, I want to make a thing about grief. So the problem with, I, and it's what people I think miscategorize when people talk about horror movies and you have people who criticize it and go, it's too woke. They're trying to make it woke. No, they're not trying to make it woke. It's not that. It's not a piece of thing at all. But it is a thing where people are starting from a place of, what do I want to say? What do I want to explore? You know, every yeah. horror movie that comes out now, or even not horror movie, like we're all getting tired of everything that just goes, it's about trauma, it's about grief, it's about gender. Those are the three everything themes. Is, did you see that clip so- of, uh, of Jamie Lee Curtis today that was trending on Twitter? No, what happened? There was a super, uh, literally a super cut of her saying how Halloween is about trauma. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> she, but you know what? That's because that's, that's the line we want to hear. And it's weird that, like, I know people rolled their eyes when they went, WandaVision's about trauma. It's like, yeah, but guys, this is the thing we've been telling them we want to hear on Tumblr for, you know, 50 it's, years or whatever. Uh, I, yeah. Everything's so gracelessly didactic these days is, is basically what we're coming down to. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're doing Elm Street, if, if you're doing Elm Street, it needs to start from a place of what scares me in 2021 and then go, what is it about that that relates mm-hmm. to the real world? That's what works so well about like Nightmare on Elm Street came from 
Wes Craven was interested in sleep paralysis. He remembered a creepy guy standing outside his window. And then he started from there. And as he was writing that, started tapping into, okay, but what's scary about this? And that's when he found the elements of divorce. That's when he found these things. The same way John Carpenter was given the babysitter murders mm-hmm. and started, you know, started writing from there because he liked uh, the original Black Christmas and babysitter murders. And then he finds the themes in that. The same way he found the themes watching Thing from Another World. You have to start from what scares you. And I, yeah, if here's, you don't, I, then yeah. Here's the thing, and I, and it it connects to dreams. Your body, your brain is writing stories all the time. You are writing stories in your dreams all the time. You are not writing themes and then looking for a story. The fun thing about dreams is then going to your shrink, telling them the things that happened and figuring out what that actually means. You should do the same thing with writing. You should come up with the story first and you will surprise yourself when you start to realize what you really care about. Anytime someone reads my stuff, they always are like, wow, you really care about class. And it's like, well, shit, I guess I do because I'm pretty fucking obsessed with it. Although I'm not actively being like, I want to tell a story about class. I want to tell a story. I had that with Mike and he goes, you, do you realize all the stuff you write has elements of like race issues in it? And I went, didn't think about it. Um, if you, if you, you. if you, if you went up to John Carpenter and said, Oh, well, did you purposely put in, uh, all that stuff about, uh, you know, uh, white flight and the safety of the suburbs into Halloween? He'd go, no, I was just making a movie where a guy killed, but it was in him. You know, these things, that's the, that's the best part about this stuff. You, 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 you should not, frankly, you should not know what's in your subconscious until it comes out through your art. That's why we it, do this. You know, it's 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 with all this gracelessly didactic shit about trauma, and you know, like we had Hereditary that was pretty good, in my opinion, until the end where it explains the entire themes to you. Um, like I watched Hereditary, I'm like, Rob Zombie made the better version of this in Halloween too, and he didn't have to tell you every five minutes it's about trauma. He just he just exploded this vision onto the screen and said, "You fuckers, parse it out." Um, I, I I also don't know if now's the right time for Freddy because their reception to Halloween Kills is so weirdly negative because it's a lot more ambitious than I think people wanted it to be. I think it's going to spook a, a Warner into if they were going to make one to be, well, we got to make it safe. We can't be ambitious. Look what they did to David and Blumhouse when they tried to be so ambitious with Halloween kills. Same thing happened to Rob with Halloween too. We got to right. play it safe. And that's not what Freddie needs. Freddie doesn't need to be safe. So um, as, as we attempt to land this plane at two hours and 15 minutes, uh, I, I, you brought up Carpenter. So I, I want to talk if they live for a second. Oh, yeah, Phil. What'd you think, boy? Real yeah. quick, by the way, I bought patches, too. I never showed them. <laughs> they're be- they're beautiful. I have to make these purchases. Oh, and a shot glass. I have to make these purchases well, worth it. They, that's, actually, they, I, well, that's a fucking great shot glass. They live as a pretty well, well, interesting... Fuck you. I got, I got Friday 13th playing cards. Fuck you. Hey. Fuck Freddy. F- Freddy so, f- they live as an interesting movie to talk about off this conversation totally. because it's totally. almost the exception to this rule. Yeah. So I... I, I I want to talk to you guys about this because John Carpenter's not my guy. He's never been my guy. He 
Bond's not going to be my guy on the other side of this Plank Check miniseries. <laughs> and I don't say that. It, oh, well. All right. I'm sorry. But this is, this is the thing. I was watching They Live, and I was like, this movie's made for, for Tom and Kenny. Like, this movie was made for you guys. Yeah. Like, I, I really That's feel right. like it. And, and I, that is obviously not with any judgment. That is just like, this is scratching. Same, bro. <laughs> this is scratching so many itches and checking so many boxes for you guys. And I'm watching it, and I, I just, I, yeah. I'd be lying if I said I really locked into it. Um, it wasn't that I, that I hated it. I radical, didn't radical hate communists it. who love wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, also, and, but, and also sort of like anti-establishmentarianism and like, you know, trying to b- blow up the system from within. These are all things yeah, that I associate I do, with both yeah. of you guys. So yeah. I, I, my, my point more than anything is I pressed play on this film. Obviously, I'm, I'm following along with the Blank Check miniseries. And we're at sort of a fulcrum point in his career. He does these two films with independent with an independent studio where he's basically given carte blanche to do whatever he wants within like a $2 million budget. And I, I just... Roddy Piper. Brilliant. Not a great casting. Excuse you. God uh, damn you. I'm, surprised, all, I'm actually surprised that's your take, to be honest. It's one he's, of my takes. He's, he's not so terrible. <laughs> he's not so terrible, good. but he's also like, when I hear about the version where Kurt Russell played the lead role, that's the movie that I want to see. It's yeah, not, I, understand, it, I understand that that's the movie you want to see. I, I, I understand I mean, that that's not the movie I don't, you guys want to see. Well, but, it's just, you know. it's, 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 uh, it's, too fucking serious with Kurt Russell. I, I don't know how else I, to, I, really. I, I don't even. I don't even think it's that it's too serious. I think Kurt is great at playing lunkheads, but Roddy Piper yeah. has a specific lunkheaded quality where you could. You, you better believe you're. It's easier to believe him being so confounded throughout the entire movie and reacting to everything that happens to, well, I'm just going to pick up a shotgun and just shoot everything in sight. It's great. He's also... Like, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt brings something that's... Even Jack Burton's a little smarter than Nada. Right, right. Where, like, Nada has to be kind of a dummy. Like, a good-hearted dummy who's going to do the right thing, but Jack Burton's first instinct isn't, I'm going to pick up a gun and just shoot everyone in a bank. Yeah, Where, he's... Uh, he's... So fucking low status. He yeah. is the lowest status hero of an action movie I have ever seen. And, and, and the wrestler is about, low status. Yes, and that's what it is. And having seen so many movies starring wrestlers pre-rock, like no matter what, you are walking in on the fucking sub-basement of, of your expectations for this hero. And there's something so liberating and rewarding about seeing Roddy Piper rise to that. the occasion, but like I, no, this guy is homeless. It's 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 truly wild how how much of a loser he is uh, no, I, at the beginning of this movie. For sure, I, I mean, I. It's also it to just, go to your, was, your you, you saying that it's the exception to the rule of the thing we were talking about of how graceless it is in its themes, how it's very much these are the themes, yeah, you know, they much. live, money is God. That's that's wrestling storytelling. It's just yeah. Roddy Piper is a wrestler. It's very much he's going to be 
what? There's aliens and they're subliminally, you know, numbing us. What? What? You, you got to believe this. It's 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 an over the top, super heated, almost right. like if Douglas Sirk was a fucking meathead who went to the gym kind of storytelling where it's just this overheated melodrama, but with right. guns instead of people kissing. <laughs> right. Well, OK. I mean, you guys can't be shocked that this film didn't hit me in the way that it hits you guys? Well, listen, I'm well, not mad. Course. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and that's that's I, fair. And and by the way, like, I'm not, I, I really don't mean to take anything away from, I, I think that John Carpenter is obviously a brilliant filmmaker. It's more about the fact that, like, you know, it's just not a milieu that, that, that speaks to me in the way that it speaks to other people. And I, when I pressed play on this and the movie started, I was like, okay. So I, I, I knew what I was in for within the first 10 minutes. And it's a very good movie in the sense that it's got really interesting themes. It's just, I couldn't, the wrestling component, and Kenny can speak to this maybe better than anybody, is something that I struggle with. It's just something that I can't fully log into. You mean the, so, the, the actual fighting? Like the six-minute fight between him well, and Keith the, I mean, that was thing? truly ridiculous. Like, I, I mean, I, yes. it, I, was, I was absolutely Wonderful. taken well, out of the movie well, during that scene. Well, well, Phil, have you ever... I don't know, say on a podcast that you host with a specific man who maybe doesn't agree with you about everything. Have you ever felt like trying to get him to see your point is like getting into a six minute fist fight in the back alley of Los Angeles? <laughs> I, I have. So uh, you should listen to our Topsy Turvy episode. I, I definitely feel like there are. Karen Hahn listen, is the Miss Elizabeth of that one. Sure. I, it's, I, I guess my, my. I just can't fully get on board with a movie like this that that is that that is just kind of I don't even know what the right word is for it but there's times where I was just watching it being like am I really supposed to believe what's happening in front of me right now like am I supposed no. to emotionally be attached no, to anything that's, that's, that's going on that's kind of part of that's kind of part of what's going on dude it's what I, what I think I love about it is it's okay let's assume the crazy ass conspiracy conspiracy theorists are real this is what they think. This is what it looks like. Um, I th- I think that's part of the fun of it. But I also kind of tap into like, look, and I've been fucking bitching to you a lot about this lately. It's like, this, is, this isn't that far from what, what's really going on. You know? No, this isn't that not. far. No. Can, I, I, I mean, can, I, can I jump in for one second? Please, please, Mike. Yeah. I have two things I need to note. One... The beginning of this They Live discussion is how I imagine it felt to be a Roman when they were feeding the Christians to the lions back in the day. Because Phil walked in and got two sentences out before he was just pounced upon and shredded apart. It was truly a case of, we have a Messiah. (laughs) Did not even get a chance to breathe. Um, But two, Phil, I want to qualify this. I get you. I get you, you and I get where Thank you're you. at. Now, I like John Carpenter. Uh-huh. Of John Carpenter's filmography, They Live is a movie I have watched twice. And it is a movie that if Tom has it on and I'm over there, I'll watch mm-hmm. it. I don't know when I'm going to consciously watch it again. It's not one of the higher up ones for me in his filmography. I respect it for what it is. And I enjoyed uh-huh. it when I watched it. But it's uh-huh. not one unlike A Big Trouble or An Escape from New York where I'm like... Oh my God, I want to revisit this world again and again and again. They live is not my thing. I, I, I got it and I enjoyed it for what it is. And I have no problem with people who enjoy it more. 
I think there's also something to be said for, I don't feel this way about John Carpenter, but the way you're talking about John Carpenter is how I feel about Michael Mann. I watch his movies and go, these are good movies. These are well-made movies. I am not going to tell anyone they're wrong who says they like them. I I enjoy Heat to some degree. I love Thief. Um, And I enjoy Manhunter and Last Insider. The Insider, yes. But even so, like... You like a lot. But No, but I respect them and I enjoy them, but I'm not, like, coming away from it like some of these guys are where it's like, oh, my God, you're telling me he made a five-hour cut? Ah, I must see it. No, I'm good. Um, So I get it. With They Live, it's a very particular wavelength, though, and I think that part of it, they mentioned the wrestling component. I also think it's a thing of if you're watching it with the idea of trying to get invested in the characters and trying to lose yourself in the reality of it, it's a waste of time because it's not like that and it doesn't have to be. It's it's kind of like, yes, there's the wrestling element, but it's also like, I don't know, I, when you go see community theater. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. No, but I don't mean that in a dismissive yeah. way of yeah. like, when I go see community theater, uh, particularly if it's like, you know, if I'm taking, you know, uh, if I'm if it's like a kid's production of like Cinderella and like my neighbors are in it or something like that. Mm. I don't I never lose myself and sit down. There's never a point where I watch it like with Kurt Russell. I love Kurt Russell. I know who Kurt Russell is. But when I'm watching Escape from New York, that's Snake Plissken. You know, it's it stops being Kurt Russell becomes Snake Plissken. Yeah, when I watch yeah. They Live, it never stops being Roddy Piper. That's that's okay, that, that's, that's okay for me. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't yeah. bother in me. That, in this particular it, movie, that's part of the charm of it. But, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like when I go to see the community theater, I know that that's not actually. Like, I it would be wrong of me at this to sit you back and go. Know. But you I'm saying it would be wrong of me to sit back and go. That's not Cinderella. That's the local librarian. Well, but can I just, what, 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 you, what you're saying is, and I think this is fair, that that knocking Roddy Piper's acting abilities is punching down. And or, that's the yeah. whole point of this movie to me, to some extent, right? That that Roddy Piper is, in a lot of ways, the last guy you'd expect. But his uh, his lack of lack of. Uh, lack of experience both as a thespian and the lack of his character's experience as a hero I think lends itself really well to this particular piece. Well because it's also not They Live isn't a horror movie insofar as I mean it is but only insofar as like the movies that I love growing up are 50s sci-fi drive-in movies right? The Blob uh, you know, it mm-hmm. came from outer space. Those sure, kinds yeah. of things. It's much more an alien invasion movie, which I guess is a type of horror, but it's also a sci-fi. And as a result, like when I go, if you watch the Blob, the original Blob, or any of those, they're not asking you to buy Steve McQueen as a renegade teenager or anything like that. It's kind of just saying, like, look, we're gonna do this. We're we're putting on the show for you. Take the ride. They live is a is a parable. In its way, it's not meant to be. It it is a parable. It's not meant to be dissected as a, a work of realism or even as a work of artistic depth. It is a warning and it is a parable. And it's kind of like, you know, like any parable, like any kind of you know religious parable or anything like that. You're not really meant to sit back and go, I don't know if I buy that the father takes back the son who left for a long time. It's like, but he does because it's it's about 
something right. more than that. So I think that they the live movie, is not the, a, you know the movies it's closest to to me are are mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you how you feel about these movies, but they're the Verhoeven movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 very much so. Spiritually, spiritually, it's Robocop. It's it's total recall, and it's these movies that yeah, you can pick them the fuck apart, like completely tear them apart if you if 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 you want to. Uh, and that's not a bad thing to do, but if you're willing to go along with those rides, there's some really it's, fun and interesting stuff going on there. It's spe- it's specifically Starship Troopers, yeah, Starship, with, Starship with, Troopers, with him casting soap opera actors mm-hmm. to make the point that fascists don't have any depth. <laughs> yeah, I I will say in the that, future we'll all be beautiful. <laughs> I will say that the thing that has um, the the pleasant surprise, I guess, or I'm not sure what the right word to describe rewatching some of these Carpenter films and seeing some of these for the first time is how much, how, the, how much he enjoys gleefully ending his films on just in crazy ways. <laughs> like that he just sort of, the, the, the end of the thing, uh, the end of escape from New York, the end of they live, all of these oh. have really great kind of weird final beats. He you know? loves his downer endings. Yeah. At, at best, his endings will be bittersweet. Like they live ends with, well, he, uh, you know, he stops the signal. So now everybody knows that the aliens are here, but you know, not a dies and he ends on, I truly love how ballsy and silly it is of a woman realizing she's having sex with an alien. And the guy just going, what's wrong. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's, it's a great, it's, it, it's a great ending. It's a it's, great it's, final it's, moment. I mean, he's, he's, he he's, does this he, all the time. I mean, he's. I mean, Halloween's got that great ending, you know. The, like you said, the thing, Escape from New York, with him fucking over the president and basically sending the world to another war. You know, uh, he's a guy that. I mean, like even Starman, maybe his nicest movie is like, yeah. Her, well, the the alien's still going away, but like at least he's leaving her with a baby. But you know, she's <laughs> that alone. final shot of Starman is fucking gorgeous but i mean it's a gorgeous final shot i I, mean, I also i also think that there's something unique about they live in his filmography insofar as while the rest of his films and they can be nihilistic and they can be you know extreme he's still for the rest of his filmography writing as a you know his, his scripts are intricate he's exploring a lot of themes he's exploring a lot of ideas and a lot of it is subtextual you know, in Halloween or Prince of Darkness or even later in In the Mouth of Madness or anything like that. What's so fascinating about They Live mm-hmm. is that it is so direct, that it is so blunt, that it is so much a criticism of the Reagan 80s and done with a tone of voice that conveys its exasperation. It's the only movie of his that's exasperated that's just going, how is everyone okay yeah, I do not with see this. this? Because I, I can only imagine like because I've, I've, the closest I've come to living through the 80s, you know, I was born in 1990. The closest I've come is when I look back on like the early years of like the George W. Bush era when I was a teenager. And amongst young people, there was this kind of feeling of like, this is kind of weird how we're like teetering into like some fascistic shit. But because there was a national tragedy to rally behind, like it was very quickly silenced and it was a confusing time. When I look at the 80s and like the nostalgia people have for the 80s, I mean, granted, when I look at it all, I see is around Contra and the AIDS crisis and all the terrible things that we all ignored. But it is baffling to me. And they live is so compelling insofar as 
one of the things that I love when you look at an artist's uh, work, whether it's a filmography or a discography or anything, is that one time when they get so exasperated, they just break form. And Carpenter is such a smart, uh, sophisticated storyteller most times. It's so subtextual most times that Reagan and the Reagan 80s blew his mind so much that we were so willfully submitting to that that like Kenny says he becomes Paul Verhoeven which he's not and instead he just has to be so blunt and over the top to be like it is you know to, to use the quote I feel like I'm taking crazy pills like how are how is this reality it's, and I love it this is such a good point like Mike. and this is such a good point it, it reminds you you know what it reminds me of it is his Bullworth moment but mm-hmm. it worked yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it just and it ha- you see it so often because this what, what seems to happen is people like Warren Beatty will quote unquote break like I think he probably did and then write a movie about someone who broke right mm-hmm. and then write some crazy shit that happened. That's not what Carpenter did here. Carpenter is out here fucking rapping yeah. and being like, "Is this how I need to get through to you?" I it was such a good. We should put that like at the front of the episode. That was so good. I loved that. And 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 you know what? For as blunt as the movie is, fucking idiots will misread that movie. Oh yeah, so much so much so to the point that in the within the ramp up to 2016's election, people were trying to be like, "They live." It's a, it's about how the Jews run everything. And Carpenter had to come out and be like, "No, I made it because I hate you, fucking morons." <laughs> and I I don't want you watching my movie. You guys are the bad guys. Like, so sometimes even a shotgun blast of unsubtlety uh, is going to be just deflected by the morons the, of the world. It is the hardest thing to do what he did. I like, it is the hardest thing to do and have it work. Because I'm thinking about now what the, what the uh, compar- comparable art was, you know, commercial art was during the Bush era. And like, you know, it was uh, really bad shit like American Dreams or W that didn't work because it's hard to do this. And what we got during the Trump era, I don't even know what we got during the Trump era. I don't even know if anybody came out and and tried anything like this. Well, you couldn't do it in the Trump era because the Trump era and even the Bush era, but particularly the Trump era, you couldn't make that art because essentially what they live is about is it's looking at everybody, the world and saying, how is everyone? How are you overwhelmingly voting for Ronald fucking Reagan? There's an exasperation because it doesn't make sense in the Trump era. We all went. Yeah, I know exactly the people who voted for that guy. We also know exactly how many people didn't. And it's basically a case of like, there's a wall up and it's, it's an us versus them thing. The thing about They Live and the thing about the 80s is it wasn't an us versus them. It was a, oh, my God, what have we become? And anybody who tried to do a what have we become for the Trump era didn't land because a lot of people, particularly people in minority groups, went, this wasn't us. It was never us. It's your weird cousins. Sort them out. You know, it's. With the Trump era, the proper, you know, thing to grapple with is, Jesus, how did we let it get here? What did we miss along the way? And with the Bush era, the only effective art, and I know it seems tacky now, but the only effective... 
effective art in a way was like I remember being a teenager in high school and American Idiot came out and it felt it felt important then because it just kind of felt like oh good punk rock is serving its purpose again sort of but even then that got washed out because the Bush era was so confusing because it was kind of like you could criticize the policies but at the time especially it was like yeah but what do we do and everybody went i i don't know all media <laughs> well yeah for six they, years I, after 9-11 just went i don't know what to do. <laughs> well what's interesting is you know because there i i all right so american idiot uh i also yeah. you know, the one the one that was jumping to my head was the um megalomaniac song i can't remember what band did that but um there were some pop band, pop mm-hmm. band that did the Megalomaniac song, and it was it was it was all over the place how much yeah. you know people in the arts hated Bush. What actually did work and actually did move the needle were the Michael Moore documentaries. Yeah, and sure. that was the way. And you know, to some extent, South Park, um, which is very sure. anti-Bush at the time, mm-hmm. and there was a way to get at him that like we just didn't. I, there, I mean, because I agree with everything you're saying, Mike, but we just didn't really land on how to get at this Trump era. And I think a lot of it is what you're saying, because so much of the best art of the last four years came from people who have been historically oppressed. And a lot of that has been like, leave us the fuck out of this. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think, like you mentioned with the Bush era, part of the problem with the Bush era uh, or making art in the Bush era is that the Gen X art of the Clinton era was very like to listen to shit. And I, I love this music, but to listen to shit like, you know, any anything from the grunge era or Rage Against the Machine or anything like that, anything that was, you know, anti-establishment in the 90s. No, when I you listen to it in the 2000s, you just kind of feel like you don't know, buddy, you don't understand. You're, you're, pointing, you to, you're pointing to a functional you know, liberal democratic government and going like, this is just such a fucking broken system. And you're like, buddy, it's going to break so much more. And it sort of feels like when, when you look at what we tried to do post nine 11, it was like a lot of people were still trying to carry that same tone and that same like nineties MTV angst. Right, right, right. And it's like, well, that doesn't apply here. And what makes it interesting and what makes they live so interesting is that anybody that tried... I mean, like, there's so much anti-Reagan shit that you can look up that never landed. There was rock against Reagan and shit like that, but it didn't matter because it was all 70s radicals who were applying their Nixon approach to Reagan, and it doesn't work. Carpenter is the only one who saw that for a unique... The Reagan administration and what neoconservatism meant. What Carpenter does in the A-Live is he's looking at it as a totally unique beast. For sure. It's not Nixon. It's a new thing. And what we failed to do during the Bush era, the George mm-hmm. W. Bush era, is recognize it as a new thing. We failed well, I, to recognize. Just to be, just that. to, yeah. you know, I, I just want to be clear that like none of the things that you guys are saying, A, is falling on deaf ears, nor do I think that this film is not rich in, in what it's trying to say. I think that this film is made by very smart people and it's a very smart commentary. I think, unfortunately, for me, there are stylistic choices and there is sort of the, the just sort of, quite frankly, the superficialness of the format of a film that just I struggled with. I struggled with, and I hear you, Kenny, on 
why Roddy Piper is, you know, metatextually, logistically a great idea. I have a tough time with him in the movie. Like I watch his performance and it just feels, you know, like a wrestler became the lead That's in the movie. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, so I, it's, it know. was Roddy Piper and uh, he's an interesting kind of wrestling guy anyway. I'm sure. But, and that's a context you know, I don't have. So Yeah, no, no. And it you don't need it. Like it's not really relevant. But it, he it, doesn't play Roddy he doesn't play himself in They Live. They 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 really tone his thing down in the movie. Oh, I don't doubt that, for sure. You know, it's just funny because in the beginning of The Rock's career, mm-hmm. they were doing similar things with him where they were weaponizing him as a wrestler. The one I'm totally. thinking of, of course, is Southland Tales. Um, you know, where Even the rundown to some degree feels all the all the stuff where he was playing you know the lead that's one thing yeah but the only real like kind of like they try to be cool a little bit to to undercut it yeah but really southland tales there was all it it, it was a it was a choice a verhoeven-esque choice Mm -hmm. to to cast this this larger than life person in that role uh and and i think richard kelly has spoken about that i will always be kind of obviously for obvious reasons you know open to this kind of outside the box casting whether it's this or you know very excited about simon rex and red rocket like that kind of shit will always fucking speak to me Uh um but and tangerine as well i mean that's that's a big sean baker thing is sort of yeah people. I I love the Simon Rex thing for the same reason I love the Ben Affleck thing. Like there's a Uh lot baked into this guy that is about to come out that really excites me. I'm I'm just going to throw one more thing out there with regard to the, which is this. And I I know you're saying it's not falling on deaf ears or anything like that. And I'm not saying if you watch it again, you're going to suddenly go, I love this. But what I would say is that it's kind of like, I'm going to name two albums if I may, for a second, um, okay. which is uh, For Emma Forever Ago by Bon Iver mm-hmm. and Tonight's the Night by Neil Young. They're okay. two albums that if you listen to them without any context, uh-huh. it's very easy to go, this is kind of dreary. Mm-hmm. This is kind of boring. Mm-hmm. This is kind of samey. This is whatever. And maybe and, and and maybe that's it. And maybe you still don't like the music. But if you go in again, knowing the context and knowing that this is in both cases, not just you know, it's not a refined album of songwriting. It is a guy just grieving into a fucking microphone. Right. Even if you don't come away, you know, going, I love Neil Young now. You know, you're not going to be tapping your toes. But the next time you put that album on, knowing that. Mm-hmm. And you hear him aching out that tonight's the night. And you're like, oh, his friends all just died within weeks of this. Or right. Bon Iver and all of the stuff he went through from yeah. forever ago. Go to it again with that context. And even if you don't feel I, I have no doubt about that the I product. Will, I have no doubt that everything you guys have said when I watch this film again in the future will resonate. So. You said when? Yeah, it's We're a good. primal scream. <laughs> That's that's what you have to um, appreciate it for. Let's rate this movie so you guys can go to sleep and holy frankly, fuck, so it's almost what time it is, guys. I ain't tired. Yeah. Fuck, fuck it. Let's. I got going. a whole. I got a whole <laughs> AAW rampage to watch. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah, you do, don't you? Um. So okay. Go rampage. Uh, I'm gonna rate this film. Never thought before before this podcast. I was at a 68. 
for the dream child. Um, I, I'm down a little bit. I'm at a 63 now, but I, I, I still think the dream child is a, uh, it's a romp guys. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Tom, uh, you seem to have thoughts. Uh, number one, seeing your ranking on Twitter means that you think that new nightmare is lower than a 68, which I, uh, You've forgotten the face of your father, my friend. But here's what I'll say. You know, you make a very good point there, Tom. I, I, I honestly think there's a, a relatively flat scale here for me until they kind of really drop off a cliff a little bit near the end. So I would, I would say that that New Nightmare, which is only below this film, I'd say is probably in the, the same around in the mid sixties. Maybe, that maybe, maybe. Me. Maybe, maybe low seventies. I, I think. We, I think. I think if we did a podcast like it's nineteen ninety, what was four? it four? Uh, which we might very well do. Which we might very well do. I, I think we could. We could talk you up a little bit. I don't doubt that. I mean, I, you just have to remember, guys. Like, this is not my shit. Like, that I, has I, the, this is that my has first the, foray into this stuff, and I'm just like, that has the, the start- best. Sh- it has the best shot in any. Uh, and one of my favorite scenes in any of these movies, which is when in- Robert England comes out dressed as Freddy, surprises her, and the shot through the light with the audience and everyone cheering him see, is so awesome. See, my favorite scene in the entire movie is when the third act is kicking into gear and she's talking to John Saxon. And then halfway through the conversation, you realize he's now playing Sheriff Thompson again. And she's yeah. like, wait. She, and then she looks around and she realizes she's on the set of the she's back in front of the red, uh, excuse me, the blue door, uh, not the red door. It's blue in the first one uh, on Elm Street. I, lo- I love that shit. And it's like it's like Kenny said, it's fucking adaptation. But with Freddy Krueger, that should 100 percent be your shit, Phil. I think it is. <laughs> it, it is. I, did, I didn't dislike the movie, guys. I just it's you got to understand that, like, I don't like horror movies I, I really cannot be any clearer about this that this is just not my bag so yeah. like even the best versions of these things are only going to be like in the maybe the but, 70s okay i want to do my ranking real fast yes go. let's yeah. go to bed and then yes, and I'll, uh, I'll do mine by, as i said to phil by hot take is they're all good i like every one of them um, I don't think that's a hot take. I agree. So, They're all good. So, so uh, I was actually at a 65 before this. Uh, I like every one of these films. I think the first one is well into the 90s. I think New Nightmares around a 90. I really, really like these films. I'm going to say at a 65. I would turn this on. I'd be happy to watch this film. So, uh, like, yeah, I think they're all good, including two. Next. Okay. When did six. Tom do his ranking? No, we just I'll go get, after Mike. No, go you go, Tom. You go first, and I'll I'll bring it all home. Okay, I've seen this because I'm a horror fan, and this is the curse of being a horror fan. I've watched this movie I don't like a lot in my life. <laughs> Every time I think, oh, this will be the time I like it. Nope, never happened. <laughs> um, uh, so, so I'd say probably the first time I saw it when I was in middle school, I would have given it, you know, because it had murder in it. I would have been like, yeah, it's whatever. It's like a 65. Um Watching it, it. Listen, I was an angry little fucking fat white. I get boy. it. I get it. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm not a fucking incel. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> uh, before this podcast, I would have given it a 45. Okay. Um, okay. After this podcast, uh, I'm going down to a 40. I really. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't like this movie. I think it's lifeless. I think it's joyless. I think it right. wastes any potential it has with the dream child idea. Um, I think, honestly, You're I think... You're my dream any- child, Tom. Oh, thanks, Daddy. Um, I think England is honestly feels like he's kind of checked out. Uh, and um, I think uh, if I, uh, depending on my mood, if this might be the one I like the least, but then, wow. throw, All right. throw, All right. but then I throw on six and I realize, Oh no, I'd rather get, <laughs> I'd rather stub my toe than get like my foot chopped off. So I love how much you hate six. All right, Tom, uh, uh, Mike, go ahead. So, uh, Couple, couple things. Uh, one, oh, I just want to say off the bat, do you know what throws? Things. Do you, do you know what? Christ. No, I just want to say, Phil. Do you know what I think throws all of us? At least throws me. Whenever you say I'm not a horror guy, and we go, that doesn't make sense. Because it's just like every time you go, I'm not a horror guy. I always go back to yes, but you did adapt one of the foundational American horror stories. I understand like, and multiple I, other horror stories too. But you have to. It's kind of your bad. My definition of horror differs from what your definitions of horror might very well be. I don't like being scared, and I don't find Sleepy Hollow scary. So if if I don't find it scary, then I'm probably into it. But I don't like feeling gross and horrible. I don't. I I cannot be any clearer about why the horror genre just does not speak to me. I don't like murder. Don't like being, I don't like. You death. don't like being scared. That that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I love being scared. I live for it. I know you and so your son. It makes you feel blood. it's it's it makes yeah. you brave. That's it makes right. you brave. Makes you brave. All right, Mike. So okay, I've become a brave well, boy. Take us home. When I first was my saw brave it, little toaster. When I first saw it, I gave it. I would probably have given it a thirty. I really did not like Dream Child the first time mm-hmm. I saw it, mm-hmm. and I expected to not like it this time. Tom and I were going back and forth about how, like, oh, everybody picked the wrong film out of the three. <laughs> um, but on rewatch, I would bump it all the way up to a 62. I had a lot more fun with Dream Child than I thought I could. My man. That's my man. There is. There's my podcast. My other how, Dream how, Child. Much would, how much would you give the, uh, the novelization? Oh, I would, prob- I would bump that shit up to a 70, 75. It's fun <laughs> as hell. That's, that's what I figured. And you got to buy that secondhand. Anyway. <laughs> uh, after this podcast, I would drop it down to a 58. Uh, okay. In discussing right. it, well, because it's like I was on the high of like, oh, this was really fun. But then like, yeah, there are some technical it. problems. There are some things that are inescapable uh, and they're unavoidable. So I would drop it down to a 58. Uh, and that's where I'd put it. Guys, this has been amazing. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, it's been a blast. We can't wait to have you both back either together or individually in the future for any number of films. Uh, or t- Jimmy Buffett. I don't. You're seeing a Jimmy Buffett beach house. <laughs> you already agreed to it, Phil. You already agreed uh, to it. I'm not. Yeah, that I never I think, I, that I think you wrote a check that only you can cash, buddy. Rob, not I. Kenny, I did Rob agree. Zombie. I I agreed to Rob Zombie with. Oh, uh, with yeah. Tom. Let's let's do Rob yeah. Zombie. You want to do fucking Dracula? 
one of my go-to karaoke songs. Hell yeah. Yeah, All that's right. 99, we'll, I think, We'll do it right? about one yeah. song. It's right around there. We can do well, about the it, video. We do about Rob Zombie well, in general. I think there are videos, 90, right, right, Tom? Nine, 99, yep. his two single-slash-music videos are Living Dead Girl and Super Beast. Drago Great. was 98, but it'll come up in the conversations, and then we'll get to talk about his movies. And I can't oh, wait to fell. talk about Robert Cummings and his uh, his his work. I I, okay. I, wanted, I just want a video of Phil watching yeah. a Rob Zombie movie. Just camera right to his face and just I, watching um, Otis Driftwood cutting people's faces off. All right. Well, um, maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we just talk about his music. Uh, either way, um, we greatly appreciate you guys joining us. And uh, this has been maybe a fucking blast. And check out your missing out season two whenever it happens. Yes, please. It seems All like right. I'm allowed to still do it. So you should absolutely. Baby fish mouth! Baby fish mouth!